Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. freaking Brit. Remember, this is the country of liberty. This is the country that had to fight to free ourselves from the chains and shackles of a monarchy. I am an American. I am not a Brit. I am not a royal worshiper. I will not buck. I will not bow. I will not curtsy. I will not kiss the hand of the Disney World figures who are the royalty in England. They can kiss my ass. This is absolutely ridiculous. I have spent the last hour quantifying coverage here in America. We're not talking the BBC. We're not talking Sky TV. That's their business over there. If they want to waste their money on royalty because that's their form of Disney World, which attracts tourists, go ahead, knock yourself out. Two-thirds of the coverage today on American television, American news networks, 24-hour news networks and local networks has been devoted to the monarchy, the royalty, and the death of Queen Elizabeth II. Two-thirds. The legacy of Queen Elizabeth II. Elizabeth the Great. Elizabeth the Great. That's the subject matter, really. Elizabeth the Great. And then, below that, one-third of the coverage, remembering 9-11. Now, if you notice, our enemies who are trying to destroy Western civilization, and they still are, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, all of those jihadists who ought to be put on the Paradise Express and zoomed up to Allah's side as quickly as possible. They didn't attack London, did they? They didn't attack Manchester. They didn't attack Birmingham. They didn't attack the U.K. They attacked America in 1993 and then came back for a second attempt at total destruction on September 11th. And they are hoping that the third time is the charm. So I ask all of you, what the hell is this idolatry? 
for a monarchy that we had a revolution in order to break ourselves away. Only one-third of the colonialists were in favor of a revolution. You're all acting like uh, like the other two-thirds of the colonialists who said, no, 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 no. We would prefer to be subjects of the king. We would prefer to give all our tax dollars to the king. We would prefer to bow, buck, and that's right. Uh, just touch our toes, right? To royal subjects while they fly the Union Jack. What the hell is wrong with all of you? Are you not Americans? Is this not the most important issue, the attack on 9-11, 21 years ago, trying to destroy Western civilization? It was an attack on all of Western civilization. But think about it. Why did they choose America? Why did they choose New York City twice? Wake up out there. Wake up out there. Look at these headlines. Former royal chef describes cooking for the queen. My fondest memories of the queen mum. Yeah, save it for the Frank Morano show, the other side of midnight. I understand he had some guests on that were crying over the queen's death. She was freaking 96! You think she's going to die at some point? Oh, maybe you thought she would live in perpetuity, right? Oh, we were crestfallen. We never thought this would happen. She's 96 years old. Get a grip on it. <laughs> Americans out. America. Hey, the Brits can do whatever they want, right? They can knock themselves out. But I have told you consistently, there is no free speech in the U.K., no free speech in Scotland, no free speech in Wales, no free speech in England, no free speech in Northern Ireland. How do I know that I experienced it? When I went over to form the Guardian Angels to patrol the Northern Line in London, got stabbed in Wandsworth in the uh, council estates, had to end up going to uh, Brixton, the police, the copper shop, and then the Old Bailey for a trial. I was warned repeatedly in all my interviews with the BBC One, the BBC Two, the BBC Three, the BBC Four. Look, you're an American, Sliwa. You're used to free speech. There is no free speech in the UK. You cannot disparage the royal family. You cannot take the name of the Queen in vain. Oh, no, 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 no. Licenses have been pulled on Fleet Street. You can't do that here. There is no free speech when it comes to talking about the monarchy. And I know a lot of you say, Curtis, you're over-exaggerating. This is just not true, right? Is that what a lot of you say? It's just not true. Let me give an example here. A woman who held an anti-monarchy sign at the formal declaration of King Charles III's ascension to the throne in Edinburgh was arrested. Get that arrested. Oh, she wants to abolish the monarchy. Most young people there, 40 and under, have no time for the monarchy. They say it's an institution that needs to find its way into a museum, and they're tired of having to have their taxes go to the biggest deadbeats, the welfare cheats in the world. But we don't want to hear from them. You know, it's the population is 65 plus. Oh, my God. You know what she was arrested on? A breach of peace. What the hell does that mean? Oh, she was amongst other protesters who aimed to disrupt the ceremony. God forbid you disrupt the ceremony. Many in the crowd told the woman to show respect 
But others said, wait a second. What about free speech? Don't we have free speech here in Scotland? No, you don't have any Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and England. In fact, the protesters were part of a group called the Scotland Secession Group from the U.K., and they want to become a republic. And they've had initiative and referendums to do that. And eventually, like, Ireland became free in 1922 under the jackboots of the oppression of the monarchy and the House of Lords and the House of Commons. So, too, will Scotland be free and independent. And that's what we should be supporting. Not the monarchy. Look, look at these stories. Oh, let me go through the laundry list. And I want to hear from you royalists out there. Who are you loyal to? You're loyal to liberty and freedom in America? Oh, you're loyal to our oppressors, represented by the continuation of this fake, phony, fraudulent, fugazi monarchy. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And damn, if Tommy Carter comes in here spewing any of that nonsense. And I'm going to stay around when the Mama Luke Frank Morano comes for the other side of midnight from 1 to 5. This royalty stuff, I mean, I've had enough of it. Enough. And yet we're going to have to sit shiver for 11 days. Jews only sit for 8 days. And you bring the Hamantashian if you're a righteous Gentile. Uh, Matt Blaze, you, uh, that's a fake name, I know that. That's an alias. But well, what do you do? If you brought Hamantashen, right, for the Queen's uh, Shiva for 11 days, you know what they would do? They would say, that is beneath the Queen. The Queen would never eat Hamantashen. By golly, you're nothing but a common man. Because that's the way they view average everyday people. Common, House of Commons. You're just common people. You're not equal to the royalty. Look at this. CNN reporter blasted for disrespectful swipe at Prince William and Kate Middleton. CNN is facing fierce backlash from the Brits because one of their reporters said, Oh, I see. Oh, I see Harry. I see Meghan getting out of the car. And I see the other two royals getting out of the car. That's all he said. They want to ban this guy from Britain. They want to pull his press pass. Say he can never, ever broadcast in the U.K. again. Is this what you support, ladies and gentlemen? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Oh, where are all the royals now, huh? They can kiss my two cheeks, you royalists. 1-800-848-9222. First day, right? First day, he's King Charles, right? This freak. And he's been a freak for years, but, oh, they pushed it out of sight, out of mind. Hey, by the way, where are they going to rehabilitate the pedophile on a pedophile, Prince Andrew, friend of Jeffrey Epstein, number one guest on Pedophile Island, number one person to take the Lolita Express from Teterboro Airport to <sighs> Pedophile Island? Will he be rehabilitated by King Charles III? First day, right? Check this out, Matt Bays, Blaze. All of a sudden, King Charles was there in Edinburgh. He was signing the Ascension Proclamation. What is he ascending to, heaven? You know, you should descend right into the bowels of hell. And while he's signing the Ascension Proclamation, this is what he says. It's caught on tape. The servants must clear my desk for me. The servants. You might as well say indentured servants and slaves. I can't be expected to move things. I am the king. It's my first day on the job. I can't tolerate this kind of incompetence. 
Oh, so he had a hissy fit. He had a meltdown. Now, did you hear that in the U.K.? Did they permit that audio to be heard? No. Immediately, they seized that audio. How dare you disparage King Charles III, who one time said, Camilla, my dear Camilla, I would like to live in your trousers. Yeah, live in his trousers. It sounded like Clinton talking to Jennifer Flowers, right? Pillow talk. Oh, but he's been rehabilitated. Poor Prince Diana. It's like she never existed. Wow. Hey, hey, rehabilitate me here, please. Rehabilitate me. Oh, oh, and then another queen. Thank God there are so few of them left in this world. The Queen of Denmark unfortunately had to scale back her own jubilee. The chain-smoking deadbeat queen of Denmark was not able to celebrate in Copenhagen. Oh, boo, 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 hoo. She so desperately wanted her golden jubilee. The chain-smoking queen was a third cousin to Elizabeth. Of course, they're all related to one another. They're inbred. It's incest that they believe is best. Oh, no, no, how could you say that, Curtis? Look at their history. Now, the other big question in all the newspapers around the world, who will inherit Queen Elizabeth's most famous tiaras? Well, let's look here. The Queen has one of the largest and most expensive private collections of bling-bling in the world. And at the heart of it are 50 tiaras. 50! What human being could ever wear 50 tiaras in a lifetime? What will happen to these tiaras? Some of the pieces, some of the bling-bling, her crowns and brooches, as well as her ceremonial bling-bling and rings, form part of the crown jewels which are displayed at the Tower of London. You know what they used to do at the Tower of London, Matt Plays? You'll still nod because you never learned this in history class. Oh, Ken, with the uh, the muscle between both your ears. You know what they used to do at the Tower of London? They used to chop people's heads off who would say disparaging things against the king or the queen or the royal family. Pfft, off with your head. Oh, yeah, there's real freedom in the U.K. Oh, and now you know why I so hate Paul McCartney. I hate him, I loathe him, I despise him. So here was Paul McCartney saying, oh, oh, you know, I, I, I want to reminisce. Here I was, I was just a young lad from Liverpool, I and uh, George Harrison, and all of a sudden, we were receiving the most excellent order of the British Empire. I remember us being taken aside and shown what the correct protocol was as a commoner. We were told how to approach your majesty, not to talk to her unless she talks to us. Not to talk to her unless she talks to us. And here it is, Paul McCartney, right? Yeah, we were told there's Jesus Christ and there's the Beatles, right? My God, look at this. Even the Beatles, right? Even the Beatles were feckless and weak to the monarchy. And you know what? Apparently the only one who broke ranks was John Lennon. Before they had the meeting with the queen, he was in the bathroom smoking a dupe. That's why he broke away from this. This is crazy. Oh, and uh, check this out, this propaganda. You really believe this? Prince William-Harry reunion required extended negotiation after the queen's death. So let me get this straight. Uh, Grandma dies, and now we have to negotiate the fact that everyone in the family can come to the wake and the funeral. I'm sure this was extended negotiation. You know what this was all about? 
Hey, we need the gravy train to continue. Grandma is dead. She was the key to us continuing to rip off the U.K. taxpayers and all of those in the Commonwealth. So all of a sudden, who was dancing and prancing outside of one of their many castles? Oh, it was Megan. I thought Megan wasn't coming. And Harry and William and Kate. Oh, all together forever. And then another headline, the Queen would be proud of William's remarkable gesture to Harry. This was about self-survival. This was about, man, we got to keep this thing going, man. We got to keep grease in the wheel. We got to act like we're all together. We already got one, Prince Andrew, right? They may send him to jail, the pedophile on a pedestal. No, it's time for us to show solidarity. And, of course, King Charles III. I mean, the only thing I like about King Charles III is that he talks to plants. And plants talk back to him. You know, the personal crop that he grows in the back of one of his castles. And he hugs trees. He's a tree hugger. I like that. I like a man that will talk to a plant. And he claims the plant talks back. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. But he's the king. How dare you question the king? And look at this article. Look, it's like 12 pages long. King Charles III carries out new royal duties while in mourning for his mom. Uh, most of these papers that I was reading from, you would think they were from Fleet Street, right? British tablet. No, American papers. Our papers. Where are the articles about the commemoration, the memorial of 9-11? Where is the coverage about the greatest attack on Western civilization that we have ever known in our lifetime and probably probably is the worst of any that existed in any lifetime, and that includes Pearl Harbor. So let me get this straight. This adulation, this um, beatification, you know, next thing is the queen is going to be beatified probably in the Vatican, not realizing, hey, Vatican, remember... The king in England kept chopping his wife's heads off. The Pope said, you can't really do that. Hey, king, you got to stop chopping your wife's heads off. He said, no, I know. I'm the king. Who are you? I'm the Pope. You know, I'm infallible. Well, he was right about that. No Pope is infallible. But then again, the king said, hey, if I want to kill my wives, I can kill my wives. There's nothing that could stop me from chopping their heads off. And so as a result of that, what did the king do? He formed his own religion. That's right. Hey, yeah, I know a lot of you out there. Episcopalians, eh, you don't want to be Catholics, huh? <laughs> uh, Church of England, old oh, Church of England. How did you come about, Church of England? You're really proud of your birth, that it was the result of the King of England chopping off his wife's head. You think it could have an annulment? You think maybe divorce? You think maybe you could wait a little bit of time? No, nope, I'm tired of this wife. Conk! Shop. The only thing he didn't have was a guillotine from the French. And by the way, this um, adulation of the Brits, not only did we have to fight them for our freedom in the revolution, and again, only one-third of the colonialists were in favor of freedom. The other two-thirds were in favor of capitulation, especially here in New York City. But what about when they sacked Washington, D.C.? They burnt it to the ground in the War of 1812. That's right. They invaded America. We talk about America has never been invaded. Yes, we have been. They came up the Potomac 
they burnt down the White House, the president had to escape on a horse or they would have chopped his head off. My God, what is wrong with you people? The French, who is there for us in our American Revolution? The French. Lafayette, we are here. Thank God for Lafayette, Kosciuszko, Pulaski. And yes, the man that they say was the gayest man ever, General Steuben. General von Steuben, man, this guy was totally gay, but he was a great general. He shaped up that army in Valley Forge. Hmm. All of those European generals who are on loan from their governments to help us in America. And then the War of 1812. They sacked our capital. They burnt it to the ground. We were invaded. How quickly you forget. And when you look at Lady Liberty in our harbor, it was a gift from the Brits. Hell no, they don't believe in liberty and freedom. It was from the French. The French who bestowed that upon us. What is what is going on? Two-thirds of the coverage on this day of commemoration of 9-11 is about an organization that I say is the equivalent of Mickey and Minnie Mouse down in Disney World. The only reason they still exist is because it is a tourist attraction. Other than that, you'd have no reason to go to England. It's dismal. It's dreary. It's always raining. It's not like Ireland. There's not any green in England. Oh, no, no, no. They have to have the royal family. You have to have 52 castles. You talk about global warming and climate change. You warm up all those castles? How much carbon are you burning in the atmosphere to keep the tush of the royal family nice and toasty and warm? What is wrong with you Americans? And then I hear on this station and other stations over and over, they just repeat it over and over. Thank God for our owners and operators. They took out a full-page ad as we began our round-the-clock coverage of our commemoration of 9-11 in Friday's paper. Two-thirds of the advertisement in the New York Post was all about commemorating 9-11. And I'd say a quarter of the page on the bottom was about coverage of the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. I, I think that's appropriate. I mean, I don't want to ignore it. Well, if I could, I would. Ha! But uh, I, I'll throw you a few. I'll throw you a few uh, sterling pounds. Oh, that's right. They went for Brexit. That's right. No more euros for you. Back to sterling pounds. And then I had to watch Boris Johnson. I thought he was out of Parliament. He's no longer the Prime Minister. There he was before Parliament, crying with his hair, going in like 52 directions, like somebody who just stuck his finger in a light socket. Meantime, the guy's a total perv. Anybody who's ever told uh, his name, he was Lord Mayor Boris Johnson when I was, uh, I won't meet with that American Curtis Lever, that vigilante. Hmm. He's uneducated. He didn't go to uh, <clears throat> he didn't go to any of those elite boarding schools. He wasn't a Rhodes Scholar like Bill Clinton and the rest of them. Now, now he is he is a urchin. He's right out of Charles Dickens. Hey, you don't want to meet with me, Lord Mayor? F you. That's what I said when I was there. F you. So you can't say that about the Prime Minister. I said, what are you going to do? Throw me in the London Tower and chop my head off? I just did. God. Anyway, let's go to the phones because this is caller participation here on the Curtis Lee Show. I did go to guests earlier today, 3 to 4, special day of commemoration. George Pataki had the uh, Secretary of State in his administration, 
uh, Randy Daniels, and I had the former lieutenant commander of the New York State Police, uh, Weiss, who unfortunately is suffering from a lot of the after effects of the fallout from 9-11 because he was down at the pit. So many of the state troopers are not covered the way NYPD is, EMTs, firefighters are, other first responders. They're on their own. So today, uh, Kathy Holcomb said, oh, we'll have to look into this. What a pimp. On this day. Oh, what about all the other days? No, they're on their own, state troopers. How many tickets do they have to write up when you impose quotas, state troopers? I summon all of you. I'm the queen of New York. I mean, the governor of New York. I demand that you have a quota and you write up tickets. I realize that a lot of my subjects, a lot of my servants are going to be very upset. And when they're crossing uh, the Triborough Bridge, when all of a sudden they're on the New York State Thruway and you're pulling them over. Remember, they're just mere peasants. They exist for one reason and one reason only, to pay taxes. Remember, little people pay taxes, right? Leona Helmsley. Yeah, the queen of mean. Uh, crime wave Kathy Holcomb. Remember, she imposed that quota. Hey, yeah, state troopers, we need revenue. Oh, you're sick from the fallout of 9-11? You inhale the toxic fumes that the other princess, the other queen of New Jersey, Christine Todd Whitless, who was then made the EPA chiefess for Bush 43, who said the air is fresh and clean. Servants, indentured servants, common people, you don't need respirators, you don't need masks, you don't need oxygen tanks, you don't even need Playtex gloves. Just go in there and remove the debris so we could go back to get making business so we can tax, 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 and tax. How many have died? How many have suffered as a result of that? Ladies and gentlemen, do we hear any of that today? No. You heard it from me earlier. You're going to hear it from me up until 11 o'clock, the Animal Welfare Hour. I'm going to be listening intently to Dominic Carter to make sure that he is not doing the buck and bow routine. How could a righteous, Uriel, Asiatic black man do that? The oppression that the monarchy put black people through in colonies for years. But they're doing that. Look at that. I'm looking at all these... These stations now. Oh, wait, wait. It, it, get, it gets better. It gets better. God save the queen. God save the king. How could God save the queen? She's dead. What, is he going to resurrect her? What is she, the female Mashiach? Can anybody explain God save the queen? She's dead. Now the new moniker is God save the king. Charles? I would rather save somebody who's doing triple life without parole. I would actually say no death penalty, let that person live. Uh, but God save the king? Man who was quoted as saying, yes, we heard it on the tape as we heard Bill Clinton in Pillow Talk with uh, Jennifer Flowers. Oh, that governor, Mario Cuomo, sounds like a mafia don. While they were doing the urge to merge. You know what, um... <clears throat> The married man to Prince Diana, how quickly they forget, was quoted as saying on tape to Camilla, she's now the consort. Is that like a concubine? I don't know. What the hell is the meaning of a... Oh, she's the queen consort. What the hell is that? 
And so they had this tape in which he said, Camilla, I dream of being in your trousers all day, all night. I'm saying, my God, this guy is a freak. No band could not be played in the UK. I thought there was freedom. Nope. No, no, you, you barbarian Americans played that. Yeah, well, we played it for Bill Clinton, too. You know, we disparage our leaders. That's part of freedom of speech, whether it's Trump, whether it's Biden, whether it's the Pope. It doesn't matter. There's nobody who's sacred in America. Well, let me tell you, the barbarian heathens, it was a mistake to allow you to have your freedom because look at it. You show no respect. If you had a monarchy like ours, you would be sued. We would put you into the pool farm. That's right. We would take every euro, every sterling pound that you ever acquired in your life. We would drive you right into the ground. Thank God I'm an American. And for the rest of you who are dreaming of a royalty, oh, if only we had a royalty. We wouldn't have Biden going at Trump, Trump going at Biden. Oh, everything would be perfect. We would just listen to a king or a queen because they're omnipotent. God talks to them. When they speak, it's as if God is speaking. Bullocks. 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 W-A-B-C. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 W-A-B-C. constitutes. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I had the opportunity to sit in City Hall possibly as the mayor. If I was lucky enough to have been elected and not to swag a man with no plan, Eric Adams, every day I would have walked down into this square in front of City Hall and touched the statue of Nathan Hale. Nathan Hale, who was hung by the neck, who before the Brits hung him because they said He was guilty of treachery, of being a spy for General Washington. Thank God he was. He said, I have but one life to give for my country. No trial, no defense. Hung them. That's the British way. Burned our villages as they chased General Washington up to the area we know now as West Point. And then in 1960, some of you Irish out there listening right now, you should take a shillelagh. You should... You should impale yourself with a shredded shillelagh. 1960, the Irish finally fighting for their freedom. 1960. And what happened in the Easter Rebellion? They took your 30 leaders, led by John Conley. No trial, no defense. John Conley had broken his ankle. They said, doesn't mean nothing. We'll put you in a chair. And they shot him 28 times. 
put them all up against the wall. Shot them. And yet the Irish won their freedom in 1922. Yeah, real great people, right? Right. And when Bobby Sands was in a jail called Long Cash, you know what the name of the jail was? Her Majesty's Prison, Long Cash. And he went on a hunger strike with other, other patriotic Irish. Ten of them starved themselves to death. What? So they could have freedom. And the Brits with their Diplock courts, you know what they had? That meant no defense, no court, just a bunch of guys in hoods saying, you are guilty. Put them in long cash, and hopefully they'll starve themselves to death. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the history of British royalty. Oh, well, Queen Elizabeth, was she responsible for it? Hell, yes, she was. Hell, yes, she was. Oh, oh, this revisionism. It's like we did with the Kennedys, uh, the age of Camelot. Revisionism, revisionism. Nazi sympathizers, 1936. Now, granted, she was only six years old at the time. Goose-stepping around in the same yard of the castle she died in in Scotland. Zigheil, Zigheil, the royal family was doing because he was sympathetic to Adolf Hitler and the Nazis. And then when the Luftwaffe came in in 1940 and flattened Coventry, eight months of daily bombing. That was the industrial base of the U.K., crippling the U.K. And the Nazis were planning the invasion across the Channel. What was the royalty doing? Backbenching. Meeting with Adolf Hitler and his representatives in Berlin saying... If you invade merry old England, will will the monarchy survive? Naturally, Hitler said, of course, you'll survive. Of course. We'll make sure you can keep your castles. Yeah, oh yeah, royalty, yeah. Ziegheil! And then as Jews out there, let me tell you your history. So right after the Holocaust, 90,000 Jews fleed Europe. To go to Palestine. You know, any any kind of boats they could get. Ocean liners, trawlers, little dinghies, tugboats, to seek freedom from the concentration camps because they were the few to survive the final solution. And then at sea, because Britain ruled the sea of the Mediterranean, hold off. Hold off there, you Jews. We're gonna take you to Cyprus. We've got internment camps of our own to put you in. You're kidding. You're going to put us back in an internment camp? That's right with barbed wire and guard towers. And you just rot there for two years. You know how I learned about that? Did I learn about that from the Brits? Did I learn about that in history and our schools? And I went to parochial and public schools. The answer is no. I learned about it from a movie called Exodus. With Paul Newman, Otto Preminger is the director a great movie that talked about how Jews finally were released by the Brits from their British internment camps and allowed to leave Cyprus and go to Palestine. Wow. Nice going, royalty. Yeah, yeah. oh, but we don't get involved in politics. No, we don't. No, it's nothing political. Well, what do you need royalty for? What is it? We have royalty. It's called Mickey Mouse, Minnie Mouse, Daffy Duck. You know, it's Disney World. It's Disneyland. I understand. It attracts tourism. But don't give us this pretense idea that somehow they're involved in government. Because if they are, boy, 
with a new generation coming, look at the polls. 80% of those who are 40 and younger want to do away with the royalty and the monarchy because they know it's nothing but a scam. Nothing but an opportunity to continue to fill the biggest welfare cheats in the world with hardworking, sterling pounds and euros from people not only in the U.K. but throughout the Commonwealth. They even put their faces on money. Every government building, every school, you see their faces. Now, okay, Queen Elizabeth was pleasant to look at. But you're going to tell me King Charles is pleasant to look at with those ears, those Dumbo ears? And they're going to change all the money. They're going to change two billion pieces of currency to put his ugly face on. You know how much money that's, how much money that's going to cost to do that? Oh, but it's all for the king. Why? Because the king is a direct connection from God. No, he's not. Anyway, let's finally go to the phones. Let's go to Alex in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alex. Hey, Curtis. Actually, I agree with you 100% about the royal family. You know what the difference is between Disney and the royal family? Disney, they fund itself, and they get funded by people that decide to go to Disney, and they pay the fear to get in there, whereas the royal family is being funded by the British people. But you know what the problem would be if you were mayor? Hold on a second, Alex. You forgot one very important thing. When you go to Disney World, as I've been many times, unfortunately, You see that average common Americans have those big turkey legs, huge turkey legs. They feel like a king with those huge turkey Some of them have two. And they are in motorized wheelchairs provided by us, the taxpayers, because they all claim they have a disability. With two huge turkey legs, right? You ever see the old movies with the king? What does he have? His grog. He's drinking his grog. And he has this huge turkey leg. You can be a king. See, that's different, Alex. We allow our commoners to feel as if they, too, can be king lighting as long as they pay enough money The vig at Disney World. You understand that, Alex? No, I understand, absolutely. But if I find a treasure here in the United States, it's not going to go to England. By the way, I think King Charles, the right, the place where they should put him is in a – they should give him an apartment the size of yours. That's what he deserves. He hasn't earned his way up. He didn't even get a job. He's just a big, fat loser. No, no, no. no, no hold on. Mayor, I, I must – I, I know. Hold on a second, Alex. I must defend King Charles III because he worked so hard doing charitable work. So I asked a simple question. I said, what freaking charitable work does he do? It's not his money. Oh, uh, you know, I attend charity work. You know, it's, it's very laborious, very time-consuming, and then I have to face all these commoners. And at times I have to shake their hand. Oh, my God, fate worse than death. Well, why do I do it? I did it for the Queen Mom. And I did it because I wanted to ascend to the throne, and Queen Mum rehabilitated me. Even though I was, I had my gumada, camellia. Oh, God, did that cause problems. But, yeah, even, even the New York Post in an editorial said, Oh, the hard work of the royal family, all the charitable work, they're patrons of the arts. Yeah, they have the largest art collection in the world. Where did they get it? Most of it was stolen in wars. That's right, when all of the British troops went smashing through 
Why are you taking all the art, the jewels, the bling-bling, the statues, and the paintings? Oh, as tribute to the king or queen. Wow, that, yeah, 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 yeah. A million pieces they have. A million. What are they going to do with a million? Can you imagine they walk around from castle to castle and they look at them? Most of it's in warehouses. You think maybe it could be sold to feed the people of Charles Dickens, you know? Those measly peasants they are, you know? Such a... You know what they do? They pick people's pockets. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, you know, I can understand the Brits. They've been brainwashed with this crap. But we Americans... This is our day! Our day of commemoration! One-third. One-third of the coverage about our day... Two-thirds of the coverage continues about this fantasy. Let's go to John in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. I agree with you completely. In fact, I should say that I find it rather amusing and also disturbing that here we are, a constitutional democratic republic, and a large number of our fellow Americans are fixated upon a family that came originally from Germany back in the early 18th century. Yeah, oh, the Habsburgs, the Habsburgs. Oh. Well, they're not even that. They're not as elegant oh. as the Habsburgs. Oh, elegant. Yeah, yeah, they're all phonies. Get out of here. Oh, they have royal blood. Oh, is their blood any better than my blood? You know something? If all of a sudden, let's assume that King Charles III gets into a traffic accident and he needs a transfusion. And the difference between him living and dying is he must have blood of a commoner. Did they make a decision for him to live with a commoner's blood in him? Meantime, this guy, oh, different. Yeah, the Habsburgs were different. They were what? Let me read you from the New York Post, the editorial here. But at a cost, the royals, look at all they put in. They don't just show up for endless ceremonies hemmed in by the demands of court tradition, but also maintaining perfect grace in a ruthlessly neutral public role that would challenge a Zen master. Have you seen these dysfunctional princes and princesses? They can't even chew gum and think at the same time. What happened to Princess Diana? They just cast her off to the curb. Remember even Tony Blair, the prime minister, had said, Queen, show some empathy. Show some sympathy in the aftermath of her traffic accident death in that tunnel in Paris. They were impervious. She was just a commoner, really, when you when you go right down to the marrow of Princess Diana's bones, what she was as a commoner. Sorry to say that, Prince William and Prince Harry. I know she was your mama. God, they make me want to vomit. Anyway, uh, if we can, uh, let's go to Vic calling from North Bergen. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vic. Yeah, Curtis, you truly are a working class here, and I'm and I'm glad there's somebody out there that sticks uh, up for us workers and proletariat. And anyway, uh, what I want to say, Curtis, is that um, uh, I'm just going to repeat what Christopher Hitchens said a few years ago before he died of cancer, 
And he said that this twit, as the, as the British call it, you know, twits, uh, uh, Prince and, that, and now King Charles III, will eventually, will quickly uh, convert to Islam and turn England into a caliphate. Uh, not going to happen, Dick. Not going to happen. It's the Church of England. By the way, there is one redeeming factor of Prince Charles, now King Charles III. He talks to he talks to flowers. He talks to trees, and he says that they talk back to him. Now, I believe that. And I know a lot of you think I'm crazy. But you see, you would say, Curtis, you're crazy. No, I, I talk to flowers. I talk to plants. I talk to trees. Uh, but like when I talk to God, he never answers me. You know, God answers uh, Eric Adams. He chose him. Ted Cruz, Bush 43, the cokehead, the alcoholic. But he had a pipeline to God. Me, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't do coke. But God never answers my calls. The only problem is Prince Charles, now King Charles III, he claims that the plants talk to him, the trees talk to him. They don't talk to me. Something wrong with me. I'm too much of a commoner. I don't have that royal blood. I need to take my geritol. That's right. I have iron poor blood. I don't have monarch blood. This is so much bull feathers. And the fact that all of you born and raised in America with free thinking thoughts with an ability to sort through all this nonsense and revisionism. It took us a while to figure out that the Kennedys were not America's royal family. They were decadent, debaucherous, deadbeats, and what else? (sighs) Every conceivable D, right? We said, oh, the age of Camelot, it was all a myth. It was all propaganda. Oh, so Camelot was propaganda. I completely agree. Joe Kennedy, the father, the patriarch, was a Nazi sympathizer, just like the royal family. When FDR realized that, he said, uh, Joe, I know you're the ambassador to the U.K. and you've had many meetings with the royal family. And you all walk around, you know, going zig heil, zig heil to Mosley and the black shirts there. But uh, we're going to have to recall you. Camelot was a myth. The monarchy and royalty is a myth. Get over it. Where's the talk about commemoration of 9-11? That's all we should have been talking about today. We could get back to the royalty because they have Shiva for 11 days. And then remember, there will be a coronation. Oh, my God. A coronation with a guy who looks like Alfred E. Newman. Right, King Charles III with the big ears. He looks like Alfred E. Newman, What Me Worry in Mad Magazine, with the fly around his head. 1-800-848-9222. And I'm going to ask you again, as I asked you in the first two hours today that I did from 3 to 5. I didn't get one call from one individual to say to me that their children, grandchildren, or great-grandchildren have been taught about 9-11, the attack on 9-11 in the school system that got back into uh, action in the last week. Not one. In the next hour, we'll see if there was one school out there, even homeschooling. I'll take homeschooling. Well, want to bet? I'll bet you what's going to happen to Anthony who goes to school, my oldest son. 
Carter and Hunter tomorrow. Could you give us the chart of Ascension now that it's been scrambled up and the prince has moved up to king and William is next in line with Kate? What's the rest of the Ascension? Oh, oh, me, me. You know, like, ooh, 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 horseshack. Yeah, call on me. And what about, can we discuss 9-11? No. Can't discuss 9-11 because it'll traumatize you. And you're all snowflakes. We don't want to traumatize you and relive the attack of 9-11. WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Another gift from the French people to the freedom-loving, liberty people, liberty-loving people in America. I'm starting to sound like Mark Levin here, right? Freedom and liberty-loving people of America. Patrick Jouvet, I used to dance to this disco song. No Americans made any patriotic disco music, none. But Patrick Jouvet, the Frenchman, did, and he said it's a a gift to America. By the way, uh, again, I say to all of you, because you said I'm exaggerating, I'm embellishing about not being able to disparage the royalty, the monarchy, or any of the... uh, Oh, 10,000 princes and princesses. A woman holding one sign up, abolish the monarchy, was arrested in Scotland and charged with connection with a breach of peace. She'll probably be put in London Tower. It'll be off with her head. You're not permitted to do that. No, there are laws against that. And the royalty have more lawyers than Donald Trump coming after you to sue you than Donald Trump does. God. Oh, but I got to give credit where credit is due. Apparently, 1953, it was a year before I was birthed in 54. The Queen, this Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, visited Winston Churchill, who had had a stroke and uh, was almost invisible. And she said, my golly, you got to resign being prime minister. You have a stroke. You know, for that reason alone, I wish we had somebody who could visit President Joe Biden and say, my God, did you see your last speech today at the Pentagon? It's time to resign. You didn't even stop when they were hitting the bell, you know, which signifies the implosion of the towers. You just kept going on and on in a cold language. I'm going to get you, my little pretties, you maggot trumpers. And Fetterman, right, the guy who can't even put two words together because he had a stroke running for Senate against Oz in Pennsylvania. Got a debate, Fetterman. Hey, look, a lot of people get hit by a stroke. If you're not up to it, you got to bow out. Let somebody else run. At least the queen went to Churchill. So you had a stroke. You can't even talk. You can't even get drunk anymore like you always used to do. You can't even smoke your cigars like you always did. You got to go. Okay, one plus, right? Let's put it, put it up. One, one positive thing. 
Let's go to Maxine calling from Manhattan. You're trying to be heard here at WABC, Maxine. Hi, Curtis. Thank you, and God bless you for acknowledging and talking about 9-11 and for people to know this is what counts. This is more important than what's going on there in, in, in England and the Queen's House and so on. This is what should be first. But I also wanted to say that with uh, the blood types, the monarchs are either ABRH negative blood type, which ABRH negative is less than 1% of the population that has that blood type, or they might be an O negative. The rarest blood type, which I don't think is in that uh, royal family, is the golden blood called the D negative blood type. So with the RHAB negative, which I think many of them are, or O negative, they can only accept blood that is a negative blood type. Well, so let, me, let me give you uh, something about our royalty, which for a while were the Kennedys. We had created that myth with the age of Camelot. Uh, the oldest sister of JFK was having some emotional issues in Martha's Vineyard. And Joe Kennedy, you know, the Nazi sympathizer, said, let's put her in an asylum. Give her a lobotomy. They did. She couldn't. She could barely think afterwards. She couldn't talk. She was put away in an asylum in Wisconsin the rest of her life. But two of the children of the royal family, no, not of Queen Elizabeth, the prior family themselves were put into asylums and their names were removed from the records as if they didn't exist because the royal families cannot have people who are emotionally disturbed or have mental health issues. They're perfect. They're God's children. We should buck and bow and curtsy and not talk to them unless they talk to us. You know, we do really have our own divas, though. Could call McQueen, Cher. She's like that. Don't dare speak to Cher. J-Lo. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Mariah Carey. Yeah, we got our own group uh, of divas. That make sure nobody looks at me, nobody talks to me. <laughs> and they're full of bull feathers, and so is the monarchy and the royalty. Up next, we're going to clear the boards. Be polite to everybody, Ken. I know that's difficult for you. And we're going to just talk about what's taught in the schools about 9-11. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. Nothing less than freedom or it's slavery. Weren't you taught that in history? Patrick Henry, it's a choice. Freedom or slavery. There is no other choice. Our American Revolution against the king who wanted all of the money from the colonies. Yeah, like our politicians now. You know, they want to tax you from the cradle to the grave. Right, right. But at least we can disparage them. Oh, is this Foo Fighters? What do we got here? Foo Fighters here? Oh, God. Yeah, you know, that reminds me. You know, it was over there. Uh, 
at Wembley Stadium a week ago was our own uh, so-called uh, musical expert, James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly. And he was out there watching uh, Sean Hawkins uh, conduct a tribute to Taylor Hawkins, three of Foo Fighters. Yeah, uh, by the way, you would know this. Um, he's in Bogota, Colombia there. It was a Taylor Hawkins and... Uh, how many hookers did he have in his room there in Colombia? The orgy there. They found 10 drugs in his system. 10 drugs. Sounded more like Ozzy Osbourne, right? So they did a tribute to a guy being decadent, debaucherous, and basically drugging himself to death. Yeah. Okay. And uh, naturally, who got all caught up in it but our own James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurley, or Bravo. Bravo, oh, yes, yeah, the tribute at Wembley, Foo Fighters, my hero, Foo Fighters. Hmm. Yeah, watch him as he's in that hotel room, taking every conceivable drug imaginable. Every hooker in Bogota was coming in and out of there. Really, yeah, yeah real, real good role model there, huh? Yeah, might as well make Ozzy Osbourne a role model, right? Except we need subtitles to understand what the hell, hell the guy is mumbling. And in fact... Ozzy Osbourne just said, I have to leave America. I feel unsafe in Los Angeles. I'm going back to merry old England. I got a plot for you, Ozzy Osbourne, right next to the Queen. God, what an ungrateful ingrate. I'm frightened of America. Notice when he needed medical care, right, lately? Where did he have the medical care? Did he have it in London? Hell no. He had it in L.A. Sight. What was that? Sinai Cedar Medical. That's where all the Trendoids, Freakazoids, Jet Setters go. Or maybe that's the cemetery they all get buried in. What does it matter? Okay, so let's clear the deck. We've had more than enough time. I said it in the 3 o'clock hour today when I was hosting George Pataki here with some of the members of his administration who were at the ready when the attack took place. Obviously worse than our lifetime. Uh, and then the full hour afterwards in which I took your calls, I asked all of you, tell me one school out there that talked about 9-11 in advance of the commemoration today or maybe has plans to do it post-9-11. You know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. You know, maybe Monday or Tuesday, invite some of the survivors, you know, first responders. Yeah. You think he could do that? No. Let's see, my son's Anthony, the oldest, Carter. He's in high school now, Hunter, junior high school. Hey, sons, uh, they talk about 9-11. No. Huh. Maybe we should make a video game about it. Maybe that's the only way that our kids can find out about it. You know, do a video game. Instead of roadblocks, you know, 9-11. Here, knock out the towers, right? You're Osama bin Laden, you're Al-Qaeda, you know, and here, here are the heroes, right, the first responder. Maybe we make a game like, what, what do you think? It's the only way our kids are going to learn about this. I'm going to give everyone an opportunity. Can anybody out there, any teachers, any administrators, whether you're involved with charter schools, parochial schools, public schools, homeschooling, yeah, y'all include homeschoolers. And I understand why you'd want to do homeschooling more and more and more when I see what's going on, especially in our public schools. 
You pay all these property taxes in the tri-state area. Property taxes really don't subsidize the bloated public school system in New York. $36 billion of a $101 million budget, and they want more. Do you think any of them taught classes? Maybe 45 minutes, one period, an hour. About 9-11, since we were at the epicenter of the attack... His videos, teacher wouldn't even have, all the teacher would have to do is just, remember, pull down the, um, pull down the viewing screen, you know, and just <laughs> let the video do it. You know, teacher doesn't have to do anything. Anybody out there? I mean, Governor Pataki said, you know, when I was governor, we mandated that Department of Education in the state of New York said you had to teach in the curriculum about the attack on 9-11. I didn't want to disparage Gov, but I said, you know, that was a while back there, Gov. You think Cuomo enforced that? Hell no. You think Kathy Holcomb enforced that? Hell no. You think anybody enforces that, including Republicans? Hell no. They just love to get together 9-11, go down near the memorial and, you know, shed those fake tears of theirs and give speeches. Before we go to the phones, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I feel like Diogenes, you know, the Greek philosopher. Forget Socrates, Plato, Aristotle. My favorite Diogenes. Look for one honest person. He'd have a lantern in his hand in Athens, put it, the lantern in their face, looking for one honest man. Now you'd have to say honest woman, non-binary, 72 different de- descriptions of sexuality and gender. Diogenes might have lost his breath just having to say it. But the point is, you get it. I'm just looking for one person who can tell me, yes, our children were taught this. It may have only been 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe even a mention, a smidgen. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Sad that I even have to say this. Let me compare it to when I was growing up. My father, Merchant Mariner, 54 years. Remember Pearl Harbor. Remember Pearl Harbor. In history class, Alan Topol, remember Pearl Harbor, fifth grade. We studied it. We saw the destruction. We saw that the Japanese had sneak attacked us, and in fact, it was all a plot with Adolf Hitler, who five days later declared war on us. We never declared war on Germany. They declared war on us. It was all calculated. We learned the nuances of this, and we were told what a difficult time it was as we were losing the war on the Pacific side and the Atlantic side. Imagine that nowadays. It'd be, oh, my God, we can't win. Let's just give up. Take over, Red Chinese. We want our Apple phones. That's all we want. And you make most of the components now for our Apple phones. Please, President G. We don't have to have freedom. Just give us our Apple phones. We can't live without them. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And later on in this hour, I'm going to talk about what Citizen Trump said back then. There wasn't enough asbestos lining the girders in both the World Trade Center sites. He was right. And there was a reason there wasn't enough 
asbestos because the contracts given to the Port Authority went to the Gambino crime family. And that's why this guy DeBono got whacked. And it was those Memorex tapes that were used in the trial against John Gotti Sr. and helped flip Sammy the Bull Gravano because they were crystal clear. We got to whack DeBono because he didn't kick up the big on the asbestos contracts, and he didn't do the job. He took the money. Nobody tells that story. Those towers should never have come down. Would they have been substantial damage? Absolutely. Trump was right as a builder. There wasn't enough asbestos. But we'll get to that momentarily. Wow. Oh, we found somebody. Rebecca, Rebecca in Brooklyn, your kids learned about 9-11 in school. Please tell us. I would just like to say, I know the New York, whatever you want to slime, times always disparages the yeshiva system, but I would just like to say that in the yeshiva schools in Brooklyn, they do teach about it in, in the base Jacob schools as well. So I just wanted to let you know oh, that this is good. there Booker, are some Booker, Wait a second. So the Booker boys and Booker girls learned yeah. about 9-11 in school? They do. In school, they teach oh. about it. They talk about it. Oh, this is it's not great! That we I'm ready to con- I'm ready to convert my sons. You know, uh, I know it's a long conversion process. I remember following Sammy Davis Jr. <laughs> it was a tough conversion process, but I'm trying to find schools. This is great, Rebecca. The first good news I've heard all day today. Yes, I know. I mean, there was a. a I didn't read it, but I heard there was a bad article about the issue of the schools. I just want thank to say you, they do. They you. learn every subject. They learn math, science. Yes, yeah, yeah. Hashem. Doing great. Hashem. Thank you, Hashem. Let's go to Paul in New Jersey. Could it be two, two in a row? Paul, tell me some good news. You got great news, uh, Curtis. I'm uh, 79 years old today, 9/11, and my twin brother and I grew up in Brooklyn, and I followed you throughout the uh, time. They have to clone you. They really have to clone you. There's not enough. My, my son is 53 now. He was six years old when the, we moved out of Brooklyn. And I'll tell you something that you're going to love. And my daughter was one. So, yeah, back then, yes. For three years, I taught in uh, Ocean Hill, Brownsville. You know about Ocean Hill, Brownsville? Of course. You know, they were the first uh, the experimental school district where the community board took over the, uh, the uh, curriculum and the money. And uh, I, uh, I had an opportunity when I graduated in 1966 from CCNY up in Harlem. I'm a Brooklyn Tech graduate, class of 61, 61 years ago. And uh, so was my brother. Engineering uh, and whatever. And I was getting married the day after I, uh, I graduated. And uh, we were going to Vietnam. My twin brother went to work for Pratt & Whitney, working on defense contracts. IBM offered me a job. And I said, thank you, and I was going to go. Well, what happened was that the New York City Board of Education was desperate for teachers. And I volunteered to teach. If I was not going to NAM, I was going to teach in the, mo- in the most horrific area in Brooklyn. I was a Brooklyn boy. And I went in there, and what I saw and what I didn't see was holy crap. And then the second year I was there, uh, Martin Luther King had already been assassinated in April, and the New York City teachers went out on strike, went out on strike, right? And in in the fall, for one week, I came back, and I wasn't a union guy. I didn't like what they were doing also, 
and I wasn't a union guy, and the, and the school was surrounded by police and media everywhere. Two hours later, I walked four big black guys in militaristic uniforms. I suspected there might be Black Panthers, but I didn't know. We found out that the custodial staff, they were bound and gagged, and uh, guns pointed at their heads, self-identified uh, as Black Panthers. Okay, I was waiting that night for the media to cover this. I didn't hear anything. I asked a simple question. I get a Wikipedia, the guy's background. I know Ocean Hill Brown, so I know force busing. I know my father made me go to PS114. All the black kids were force bust in there, and they were... We were hiding in the lunchroom. They were hiding. I said, why the hell did my father make me go here? Now they're outside. They're my cousin screaming, end lover, end lover. What are you doing there? Poor black kids were shaking like leaves. This guy's still telling the story here. We're learning everything about him. We gotta, I, I, I lived through it. Paul, 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 please. What does that have to do with 9-11? You see, anything to avoid talking about the fact that we're not teaching about 9-11 in our school system, especially public schools, you pay incredible property taxes in the suburbs. And you're going to be paying more with all the illegal aliens coming in whose kids are going to have to go to your public schools. You're going to be paying a lot of property taxes. Are they teaching about 9-11? Come on. Admit it. A lot of you don't know. You didn't even bother to ask. You pay all these taxes. You don't even bother asking. Like, hey, I... I I'd like to find out if we're teaching my grandchildren about 9-11. Wow. Man, this is like pulling teeth. Oh, oh, Tom in Pleasantville. I, Tom, you had to teach about 9-11? Well, I got, well my kids, my, my, my daughter was born in 99 and my son in 03. So, I mean, they were very young when it happened. So, but up in the Pleasantville schools back then, say 10, 15 years ago, you know, they were learning about it. Because like you just said, the taxes that we pay, half of the taxes go to the school. In the ta- and we live in the, uh, the village area. So, yes. I mean, we get hammered. So, but, you know, it's a very, uh, the great majority of the parents and everything are um, conservative thinkers. And um a lot of the teachers, it's supposed to be a non, uh, it's a non-union school, you know, union free. So, you know, a lot of, it was taught, uh, you know, back then. And it was also, you know, the kids would go outside and commemorate it, you know. So, uh, you know, they learned. but also my, my uh, ex-brother-in-law was a fireman back then. So, uh, you know, but uh, as well, far this, as. Uh, this, 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 this provides hope here. I used to watch every Twilight Zone episode. I can imagine doing a Twilight Zone episode. Here's Tom, who had to teach the children in Pleasantville about the attack on 9-11. Here's Tom, two years before his retirement, in which he'll be fleeing to Florida, forced to teach CRT and not 9-11, critical race theory. 1619. No, not 911. 1619. Wouldn't that be a great, I mean, Twilight Zone episode, right? By the way, you know who uh, created the Twilight Zone? You know what city he came from? Binghamton. They're finally putting a statue up in his honor there. Binghamton. And they're finding it very difficult. 
to get the money to put up a statue, probably to the most famous person who ever came out of Binghamton. By the way, in order to earn a Curtis Lee will booby prize, who am I talking about? Best known for smoking as he would introduce and do outtakes of the Twilight Zone, one of the greatest TV programs of all time. A war hero, I might add. A man who served first in combat in World War II. Half his division was wiped out. Then he was transferred to another division. Half of that division was wiped out. I mean, consider the analytics on that surviving. And then to go on and write such great television. Better than anything we got now on TV. Come on. Twilight Zone. Pure theater of the mind. It's what I strive for on radio. And look, <laughs> I'm not as good as the guy in the Twilight Zone. No way. But I strive for that because, boy, that kept us engaged. Tell me who ever turned the dial on the Twilight Zone, right? From the opening credits to the end, when the Twilight Zone was on once a week, nobody turned the dial. 1-800-848-9222. WABC. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. By the way, the other Curtis Lewa booby prize. Smells like teen spirit, grunge rock. Why is that so important that I be playing it today? There's a reason that I'm playing it today. It was a whole generation who had no idea what was coming down the pipe. They were in their garage bands. They were talking about committing suicide, banging their heads on the wall, smoking anything that would get them high. Questioning authority, which you always should do. Question authority. Never accept what you're being told. And then all of a sudden it culminated in 9-11. Now, I think we can all acknowledge that grunge rock had a lot of rage, right, Matt? I believe one of the reasons for grunge rock. Grunge uh, was a uh, rage of that generation. Where is the rage about 9-11? No commemoration. No education. Two-thirds of all of our news eaten up by the monarchy. King Charles III, who looks like Alfred E. Newman. What me worry on Mad Magazine. You're, you're kidding. You're kidding. Two-thirds of the coverage. I'm looking at all this. Look at this crap. Oh, yes, the funeral entourage on the way to Edinburgh. Yes, yes. <clears throat> oh, you held up a sign and the monarchy. Now, arrest that person. How dare you disparage the monarchy? There is no free speech in the UK. Off to the Tower of London. If we can't find a reason to incarcerate, we'll let the monarchy make up one because they're inspired by God. We're just commoners. That's where the rage should be. Back in 
That's what punk was about, right? That was what punk was about. What happened? Sex Pistols. Remaining Sex Pistols. Why are you involved in the deification of the queen and the king? Hmm. What happened? The punk rock, right? Punk rock, one of the reasons it came about was in opposition to everything about the royalty and monarchy and that kind of structure. And yet even they buck and bow and curtsy now and say, hey, that was then. This is now. We're all millionaires. What the hell? Stupid kids came to our concerts, made us very wealthy. We bought islands right there in the channel. And we love the queen. We love the king. We love money. God, frauds. Frauds. Anyway, let's go to the boy. I'm finding it very difficult to find people who would say that their children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren were taught about 9-11. Let's try Chris in Orange County. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. How you doing, Curtis? Uh, I'm a retired New York City fireman. Um, there's a teacher. His name is Mike Chevelle. He's down in Maryland. And what he does is he's been doing it for over 15 years. He takes his students. He gets 48 students, and he has them pick out a name of the 343-plus firefighters that were killed on 9-11. And they're told to do a report. They are, have direct contact with the family members of that firefighter they choose. What they do is they do a report, and then they, they actually make a little gift for the family. They come up to New York, and they go to the Memorial, uh, World Trade Center Memorial. I was asked a few times. Uh, I've, been, I've been doing it, volunteering to go up, and Mike uh, asked me to come up and speak to the kids. And it's a, it's a really moving thing, man. And what they do is they take the kids, they go there, and they meet the family members. And then they visit six firehouses throughout the city that the firemen that they did a report on and they have an opportunity to meet the family, and they give a gift. A real short story is on September 13th, the World Trade Center, there was a six-story stairwell. I climbed up in the top of it. You had to climb up. There were ladders rigged up to the sides. You climbed up, and there was a eight-foot, uh, about a 10-foot round hole and eight feet deep. They had just pulled out eight bodies of New York City firefighters. It was a body that was up there. His name was Dennis uh, Dennis Mohican, Lieutenant Dennis Mohican from Rescue One. I never worked with Dennis. I was a fireman up in the Bronx. I got into the hole, and we cut Dennis's body out, out of the hole, and we put him on a stoke. Some rescue came up, put his body on a stoke, and we lowered him down to the bottom. It was one of the most heart-wrenching things I've ever been involved in in my career. Uh, what happened was... Mike invited me to come down to speak to the class at the memorial. And I go over there, and Mike says to me, Chris, this young girl has a gift for you. And I said, Mike, I'm not here for a gift. I appreciate it. She goes, well, she made a gift for you. And what ended up happening, this young girl, probably about 15, 16 years old, made a gift with a FDNY, and it was in block. And underneath it, it had a memorial of Lieutenant Dennis Mohica from Rescue One. And she presented it to me. And, I mean, I cried like a baby, man, mm. because I got emotional. Mm. Uh, this this teacher from Maryland is phenomenal. 
He's unbelievable. And to give hope for us as far as firefighters and throughout the country, the Stephen Silla uh, Foundation, the Tunnels to Tower, has a 9-11 exhibit that travels around the country. It's an 1,100-square-foot museum, and it's an 18-wheeler, and it goes around the country. What happens is we volunteer as firefighters, and we go on there, we go to a different part. They fly us out. And we man the museum for five days, three days. Um, I was out in Minnesota for like 10 days. We did three different stops. I want to tell you, it is one of the most educational things for kids. I must have spoke to thousands and thousands of children around the country. Um, and I asked them just that. I asked them that question. I said, did your teacher teach you about Iwo Jima? Because of the uh, the brothers that raised the flag down there, the boat base on 9-11. That's like almost the equivalent of resiliency for 9-11. What happened in Iwo Jima when that flag went up, it's the same thing with those brothers, the three firemen that raised the flag. It was almost the same feeling that we had knowing to see that, um, the resiliency. And I asked the kids, do you get taught this in school? You get taught that the, that the Freedom Tower is 1776. You understand what all of these things, I ask kids questions around the country, and I've done 23 stops at that mobile museum around the country, and I meet all kids from all over the country, everything from Texas to Minnesota, Iowa, all over Curtis. The first kid to get it right after my first three stops was a young kid in Rockport, Texas, and when I asked him, what does that represent, those three firefighters raising a flag? at a boat base and down on 9-11. What did that represent? And that kid goes to me. He's about 12 years old. He goes, sir, that rented, that, that represented Iwo Jima. And I was like, I got all choked up. And then I go, okay, let me ask you another question. What does 1776 represent on Freedom Top? He goes, sir, that's our independence. Now I'm like, I get all choked up. And I go, how did you, how did you know that? And he says, sir, my grandmother and grandfather have taught me these lessons. My grandfather was in the, my grandfather was in uh, World War. My great-grandfather was in World War II. And he goes, my father was in the military. And he says, my mother and father taught me about the World Trade Center and the Freedom Tower. But in hope to know that kids are being taught, that 9-11 exhibit has traveled up to Orange County. It's been in Rockland County because of the brothers of Tommy Foley and Danny Foley who both were killed. Danny Danny ended up dying after 9-11 from World Trade Center disease, and Tommy was killed on 9-11. His family has a foundation. They brought the museum up to Rockland County at a school. There was the, This 9-11 exhibit has been over in Pine Bush, New York, and it's also been in Warwick, New York, in school parking lots. The kids get educated. And it is one of the most it's one of the most overwhelming things to see when these kids come in and they see it and you tell them, listen, the bad was bad, but the good was the greatest. And one of the greatest things that happened on September 11th was that so many people came together as a country. There was no race. There was no religion. There was no government that divided us. Everybody was an American. And the fact that everybody came together, and I like to get that point across to the kids because they're our future. It's going to come a time when I die, and then there's not going to be anybody to tell the story of my friends and the brothers and the civilians that that went through and rescued the largest the largest evacuation of any 
any emergency or disaster or a terrorist attack around the country, around the world, as a matter of fact. There's over 250,000 people, you know, around the World Trade Center. Sure. And unfortunately, 2,977 were killed. And the fact that I want those kids to realize the heroic acts of all the firefighters, and it, it tears me apart that I see what happens in New York City now, what's going on. Because after 9-11, when we drove down the West Side Highway, people were cheering 24 hours a day. They had vigils all over the West Side Highway, all the way up. It was one of the greatest feelings to know that when we drove by, people were clapping for us. And that's what carried us. That and the fact that there were so many people praying for us around the country. And when I go around with the 9-11, I especially pick out the kids. And what I tell them to do is when I get them, there's like maybe 100 or 200 I'm talking. And I say, okay, I want all the kids to come up front with me. And I get maybe 50 kids come up. And I go, okay, you look into everybody's eye in the audience, and I want anybody who's ever served our country to please raise your hand. And you get like 10 people, 15 people. And I tell the kids, you look into the eyes of everybody who has their hand raised, and you thank them for everything they've done for us long before you were born and long before I was born. And this gives these kids the idea of respect for the military for for first responders, and it has to be done. But when those kid was telling me, that kid told me from Rockport, Texas, that his grandmother and grandfather and his mom and dad were telling them all about the World Trade Center. You know, sometimes you're not going to get it taught in school. And I and thank God, thank God, I haven't been subjected to it up here in Orange County. But around the country, there has to be the parents are the first round of teachers to kids throughout country. And if the parents don't tell the story, then I'm definitely not going to even be prepared to learn it in school. Well, I think, Chris, so, uh, you were so eloquent in describing the work of the Stephen Sillip Foundation, especially this mobile exhibit. Uh, if you could yeah. uh, remain on the line, we'll get your information, and we'll see if our station can combine our efforts to keep this image alive, mostly for a generation that was not born, that didn't have the experience. Look, that's what the theme of this show is. I don't interview guests. I did earlier today, three to four, because George Pataki uh, was honoring members of his administration who uh, dropped everything and came to the front lines and worked with the Giuliani administration when, in fact, we didn't know where our president at that time was or Dick Cheney or the federal government. We had no idea. There was no Internet. There's no real means of communication that we expect now when we light up our cell phones, our smartphones. You Could any guest have said it any better than Chris? Of course not. So I think what we can do for Chris and his brothers and sisters in solidarity who keep the images alive, along with the Stephen Siller Foundation, great uh, Tunnel to Tower run that they do and all the outreach they do. And why well, was there in the, uh, the beginning, first run through the Brooklyn Battery Tunnel. I'll never forget, I would finish this speech and say, and to all of our enemies, put them on the Paradise Express and zoom them up to Allah's side. And, you know, Channel 2, which sponsored it, they did a good job. They said, never have Curtis speak again. 
Guess what, CBS? SOK. I say it right here on 77 AM WABC. WABC. Founder of the Guardian Angels. A group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Great Bobby Darren died so young, the age of 36. Bronx boy went to uh, Bronx High School of Science. So uh, talented in so many ways. Died so early. One thing I always do before, during, and after 9-11, just as we heard Chris, the firefighter, FDNY, discuss, is honor those that receive little, if any, recognition. Now, mm, earlier this evening, they had the annual commemoration in North Shore, Staten Island, because per capita, per persons, more more pre, pre, personnel, workers, and first responders uh, were killed and were injured than anywhere else in the tri-state area. And they do it right there. They have a memorial in the shadow of Ferry Hawk Stadium uh, and also the ferries itself. And it's great. But if I had my druthers, uh, I would do it right on the closed Fresh Kills landfill, which is now a state park. I think it should really be named in honor of Rudy Giuliani because if not for him getting elected along with Guy Molinari, the borough president, uh, the world's largest landfill, Fresh Kills, would never have been closed. Look, the dump that I grew up next to, um, Spring Creek, Canarsie, over to Howard Beach, two areas. It's named the Shirley Chisholm Park. It's a state park named after Congresswoman, uh, African-American congressman, first woman to run for the presidency of the United States. But the reason I mentioned Fresh Kills is I was probably one of the few outsiders who had an opportunity to see what was going on up in Fresh Kills in the aftermath of the attack of 9-11. All the particulae, I mean, it didn't matter how small the particulae, how large the beams, the concrete, the crushed and flattened trucks and cars and service automobiles, everything was transported to fresh kills and sorted out there by barge. And I walked up there, and I'll never forget the first time I was up there. It was a drizzly night, and there were men and women down on their hands and knees with little rakes going through the particulae, looking for anything that could establish DNA of some of those heroes that Chris had described who had been flattened, flattened by the implosion of both World Trade Center sites. And they worked meticulously, and they were inhaling incredible amounts of methane gas that was emerging from the garbage that had been buried over the decades. You know how I knew the methane gas was coming up? Because the ground was bubbling because of the rain. And I said to uh, one of the construction guys there, because it wasn't just cops and firefighters and EMTs and other volunteers who were up there. A lot of construction guys were up there. And I said, uh, is that what I think it is, methane gas? Because I remember seeing that at the Spring Creek 
dump along the Bell Parkway. He said, yeah, that's methane gas. I said, man, that's going to cause a lot of damage to people. And it did. Those men and women never got the recognition and attention of those that went into the pit, which became the world's largest crematorium. We got to right the wrong. I went up there a second time, and people had really gotten violently ill. And there was a morgue up there. There's a morgue. It was everything up there. No particulae. Nothing was just tossed and uh, put into the waste heap. No, everything went was gone through with a fine-tooth comb to try to give closure to a lot of families that were just waiting any acknowledgement that the remains of their loved ones were actually found, even if it was just their DNA. The other group that never gets the recognition and attention, and I always stop to do that, I've spoken at many commemorations for them, the private security officers who were assigned to the different levels of the World Trade Center site. They had to wear jackets. They weren't police officers. They weren't civil servants. They were being paid, many of them, minimum wage, very few benefits. I heard of so many stories as they were ferrying people out of the buildings down to the ground. They did not leave their posts. I mean, think of it. You're a private security officer. You're being paid minimum wage, almost no benefits. It could have been so easy just to continue the flight out of the building, and yet they remained, and they too were killed. There should be a separate memorial for them. We know who they are, but for some strange reason, we don't identify them. In the industry, they're identified because I've spoken at their commemorations, but the public is unaware of that. Let me speak about Donald Trump, of whom I've had a love-hate relationship with. It goes back over 40 years. Loved him sometimes, hated him, loved him. Likewise with him and me. In the aftermath of the collapse of the World Trade Center and the fires that consumed those towers, that were supposed to be impervious to uh, all the fire that consumed the top levels, Builder Donald Trump, citizen Donald Trump, remember he was not running politically yet, came out and said that he felt the lack of asbestos is the reason that the Twin Towers collapsed on September 11th. I remember my father agreed with him. My father, in addition to being a merchant seaman for 54 years, was also a master craftsman, had worked in a lot of buildings in Chicago with his father, who taught him the trade that he learned in Krakow in Poland along with his three brothers. And I said, Dad, what are you talking about? And he goes, look, Curtis, I know when you were in the basement area, PS 114, which was the cafeteria, that you and your friends would be swinging on the pipes. You'd be hanging on the wrap, which is asbestos. All asbestos is not bad. He said, "Uh, your grandfather is tilling the soil. As an Italian, they didn't believe in grass. It was all dirt said, there's asbestos in the dirt. There's like 36 different forms of asbestos. He said, yeah, there's some asbestos. We carry it on ships. Extraordinarily dangerous to inhale. So I had a pretty good education from my dad about asbestos. But when Donald Trump said we didn't have enough asbestos in the tower, the coating on a lot of the girders, that might have prevented the fire from spreading so rapidly, even though it was fueled by the uh, the fuel itself from the airlines that had smashed into the buildings. 
And nobody paid any mind to it. They said, oh, asbestos, evil. Manfield, New Jersey. Uh, Ken, you live in near Manfield? Uh, you live near Ken? Oh, that's right. You're an alias there, uh, Mad Blaze. Manfield, whole town was based on asbestos. They have browning fields there now where all the asbestos factories were. It created asbestos for the nation. So important to the building of America because a lot of cities, remember, they burned down. They had the Chicago fire, right? We'd see the recreation uh, when I would go to Freedom Land where the co-op city is, and they would recreate the Chicago fire. You remember Elsie the cow kicks over the lantern, and all of Chicago burns down. San Francisco fire. Asbestos prevented that. So what did they do? They demonized asbestos in all levels, like they demonized DDT to get rid of the mosquitoes. Oh, evil, evil. Well, of course, some of it was bad. But, you know, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. So going on that notion of what Donald Trump said, I give him credit for this because he was right. And my father, who better explained it to me, said, look, you didn't die. You were swinging on the, all the padding around all the pipes in the cafeteria. PS 114, don't lie, Curtis. Your cousins told me you were very efficient. You thought you were Tarzan going from one pipe to the other pipe as you were swinging on the asbestos. Cole busted. He said, but that was not the bad asbestos. And do you know why there wasn't enough asbestos on all of that that should have been coated with asbestos? Because the contract, the lucrative contract to apply the fireproofing foam of asbestos to the steel crossbeams beneath each floor of the Twin Towers was given to a guy named De Bono. DeBono was one of the earners and a member of the Gambino crime family. He was ordered murdered by John Gotti Sr. for not showing up at a meeting because he wasn't kicking up enough money. You're going to hear from Sammy the Bull Gravano right now, the underboss, the guy who ratted out John Gotti, and in the conversations about Louis DeBono whacking him out, this was the conversation that eventually sent John Gotti Sr. triple life without parole and Marion and caused um, Sammy the Bull Gravano to flip because he realized now that they had this tape, it was over because it calls for the execution of DeBono. I want you to listen to Sammy the Bull. Ernie Gamarano says, you know that there was construction going on around the World Trade Center. He said, I got that big parking lot. It was all dirt. And I charge people like five, ten dollars to park. Parking in the World Trade Center, it was very expensive. So he's got a lot of action. He's making a few bucks. Good. Great. He says, I know Louis de Bono's got an office there and he's probably parking there. I'll make him park here for nothing because he's a friend of ours. So that's Louis de Bono. He's got this massive contract for millions of dollars to coat all of the steel crossbeams beneath each floor of the Twin Towers with the fireproofing foam of asbestos. No oversight, no transparency. They gave the money, the Port Authority. I want to know who signed those contracts. Never supervised. And you know what de Bono did with the money? They put the asbestos up to the 40th floor, but it wasn't just 40 floors, right? You remember, 
close to 100 floors, higher, no asbestos. He pocketed the money. And Gotti wanted his cut. Gravano wanted their cut. They realized that the Bono was ripping them off. I'm going to tell John when he comes in. John comes, take a walk with me. Tell him what I'm telling you. He says, give me the card. Yeah, there's the card. And here's, he's writing down where he parks his car. Do you want me to take care of this, John? I hate the guy anyway. No, no, Sam. No, it's got nothing to do with you. Okay, good. Got nothing to do with me. Good. A week later, the guy is killed. In the World Trade Center, in that parking lot, all that information that I gave. That's why when I take a plea, I'm charged with that murder. Not that I have really any part of it, but I gave that information. That makes me part of the murder. But I really did nothing. Other guys did it. I don't even know who to fit it exactly. Which guy? I'm not, I had no interest. I still have no interest. Now, is he completely telling the truth? Of course not. But it is part of the RICO conspiracy. He was aware of that. Originally, what happened is the contract to whack Louis de Bono was given to Gotti Jr., the son. And the son tells the father, he's in a foreign country. We can't find him. <laughs> Some guy walks up to Sammy the Bull Gravano and he says, I hear you're looking for Louis de Bono. He gave me his card. He's got an office in the World Trade Center. Sammy the Bull goes, hey, Junior told us he's out of the country. And still the father wouldn't let Sammy the Bull Gravano whack the guy. Because he was embarrassed. His son, thank God his son tried to whack me. That's why I was able to get out of it. If it had been uh, Sammy the Bull, I might have been dead. But think about that. Have you ever heard that story told? Empire State Building was coated with asbestos from top to bottom, even above the observation deck. Remember, there was a military plane that crashed in to the Empire State Building on a foggy night. I believe it was in the uh, late 40s. Caused a fire, but it didn't cause the uh, Empire State Building to burn. When you've, If you've ever been in the Empire State Building, I actually broadcast from there AM 970, the answer, four years of my life, I'll never get back. You can see, wow, this, this baby ain't going down. And the engineer said, Curtis, there's so much asbestos in this building that if there was a fire on the 68th floor... Maybe it would affect the 65th, the 66th, the 67th floor, maybe like five floors, and that's it. The asbestos would stop the fire from traveling. Now, we were told that when the airlines hit the buildings, the fuel in the planes that had not been exhausted because they took off from Newark, they took off close by, was still fully loaded in the tanks. And that caused the, the fire to expand. Incorrect. There was no asbestos above the 40th floor. Why wouldn't you have asbestos above the 40th floor? Nobody checked on it. Louis de Bono was paid. His contracting company was paid millions of dollars to do it. He pocketed the money. Who did he pay off to look the other way? Which figure in the Port Authority? Remember, it's a Port Authority project, which means... 
The governor appoints uh, members of the board from New York. The governor of New Jersey appoints members of the board. Somebody had to sign off on that contract. Somebody was responsible to supervise it to make sure that the job was being done. As Rudy Giuliani said, the job on Friday, a 5 o'clock roundtable discussion with John Katsimatidis and Lydia Serrani said the job was blank, blank, blank. It was so bad, the construction of the World Trade Center site. Now, did anybody ever investigate the fact that the Gottis got the contract to put in the asbestos, the one thing that could have stopped the fire from traveling, that could have stopped what turned out to be the weakening of the structure and its eventual implosion? Have you ever heard that story before? Of course you haven't. Because you have no interest in 9-11. We're not teaching our kids, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. It's over. You're, you're all you're, you're all for toots for the burial of the queen sitting shiver for 11 days and the coronation of Alfred E. Newman, what we, what we worry of from Mad Magazine. That's what he looks like, King Charles III. Two-thirds of the media, even today, on this day of the memorials and the commemoration is devoted to the monarchy that has absolutely no impact on our lives. And let me finish with this. We have now, within the police department, 34,000 men and women. We are depleted to a very dangerous level. John Miller might be able to comment on this. He recently retired from the NYPD. He, in combination, was head of the Anti-Terrorism Task Force, did a great job there for a number of mayors. He did that for uh, Bloomberg, and he did that for uh, Bill de Blasio. And he was spokesperson for the department. He's now been signed up to do analysis for CNN. That's a good catch. You know, maybe somebody at CNN said, we're vulnerable here. Nobody knows more about this now than John Miller, the man who actually uh, had the first interview with Osama bin Laden in that cave in Afghanistan. We knew he was coming. The Clinton administration was asleep at the wheel. Bush 43 administration was asleep at the wheel. And they hit us and they hit us hard. Does anybody doubt that in some caves, some hovels in South Yemen, now in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, that there aren't the relatives of the many that we've killed in this war on terrorism plotting their revenge, like a vendetta, like uh, Sicilians have, like Albanians have, like the Hatfields and McCoys have, sitting there with their laptops, their technology, Listening to our news, watching our news, and see how weak we are. All the crime, illegal aliens flooding across the borders, no fetting. Easy to get into the country now. 81 people already have been stopped at the border while crossing who are on the no-fly list. Now, does it mean that they're terrorists? No. But some of them might have terrorist affiliation. We can't seem to get that information. But if you were planning a third attack, the third time is the charm. This is the perfect storm for you because remember, as I said originally at the Tunnel to Tower runs, I said they're planning a third attack because their whole lives are consumed to get on that Paradise Express and to be zoomed up to Allah's side. They are jihadists. This is what they live for. This is all they do. They tend goats in the desert. 
They plot, they plan, they live in primitive conditions, but they have the same technology we have, the same laptops, the same smartphones, and they're hell-bent on doing it again. And I'm telling you, I have this innate feeling, this gut feeling, that we no longer have a 1,000 police officers who are dedicated to anti-terrorism work as we have had for years. How could it be that we haven't lost some of those valued men and women Experienced, trained police officers, some of them who are Arabic-Americans, some of them who have trained to speak Arabic, who will listen to communications, who will intercept messages from overseas and be able to tell us who's communicating with whom and who are part of the terror cells that were within our own territorial boundaries. You really think there are a 1,000 cops there in the anti-terrorism unit? Every time I call DPI, Department of uh, Information for the Police Department of the City of New York, they say, Curtis, you don't want to ask that question. I say, yes, I do. Because you better believe they know how to calculate, too. They know how to count. If we're down to 34,000 and we're going to lose more cops to early retirement, retirement, and other police departments recruiting them away, there are no thousand cops left to anti-terrorism duty. They they were all housed in the Bush Terminal along the BQE and Sunset Park. They're not there any longer. Not where I knew where they were. I know they haven't scattered in the wind. I know they're still active. I know they still exist. But I'm going to have to press this because if we are in a weakened position, which I believe us to be, It is important if there's one area of the police department we have to buff up, we have to build up in the ranks. It's even more important than the street crime or the crime on the subways or in the parks or in the schools. Now, that's coming from Curtis Sliwa. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime in the subways, in the streets, in the schools, and in the parks. And I'm telling you that pales in comparison to the need for the thousand trained professional police officers who are part of the anti-terrorism unit, many of them trained by Ray Kelly, longest-serving police commissioner in the history of New York City, who said, we can't depend on the FBI, we can't depend on the CIA, we can't depend on the national security agencies. And with the blessing of then-Michael Bloomberg, Ray Kelly was given an open checkbook and was told, if necessary, set up listening posts in Jordan, in Dubai, in Oman, in Egypt, in all ports of call all over the world because he understood we are target number one. They will come here to finish the job, and I don't think we're prepared to deal with them again. Over the course of human history, there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. 
Once again, uh, thanks for jumping on the ark, Nancy. Uh, lucky we're in the northeast where we've had rain because if our ark was out in California or the southwest where they're in the midst of drought, our ark might not be going anywhere. Yeah, thank you for having me on again, Curtis. Okay, so first and foremost, the one question that I'm asked the most, Nancy, is about the carriage horse who collapsed in the streets. Uh, the image was viral, went internationally. We learned that the name of the horse was Ryder. He was on his way to his um, stall. Uh, and the driver, Ian McGeever, who now we're told actually owns him, you know, they, they sublease these animals out to the drivers and the drivers own them. And he was whipping him on such a hot, intense day that – People nearby started screaming at him, stop, stop. They started getting water. They poured it on the ground. The poor horse rider was trying to lick up the water. Ian McGeever, the owner, and the driver wouldn't even take the bit out of his mouth. Thank God the police arrived, and then they doused the horse. They iced the horse down, and eventually the horse was able to continue on to the stable. We saw a video of how the bad conditions on the stables and the bad condition of Ryder himself uh, with all other injuries. We've been told that the Ryder has been sent to some horse sanctuary upstate. I can't find anything to substantiate that. Can you? No, they haven't actually released anything in terms of obviously the name of the um, sanctuary, so to speak. So, I mean, the way they said it, it's a private horse farm. And that, so the owner gave him up, supposedly. And what's curious is, it's, supposedly, he's being treated by a veterinarian now as well. Now, based on what you were just saying in terms of, like, subleasing uh, these horses, I mean, if he didn't have the money at the time when the horse was working to supply uh, adequate veterinarian care. I'm not sure why there would be any faith that in retirement, when the horse isn't making money for the ride, the driver, that he's actually going to go out of his way to supply that care. So none of this is being uh, relayed. There's no follow-up pictures. There's no, again, there's no like follow-up indication. So, but what's interesting is so like the city health department, which basically oversees animal care in general in New York City say that the the owners they're responsible for the care for the horses and they're supposed to get uh, uh two twice a year examined by a veterinarian and it, the veterinarian is the one who actually gives them the okay the thumbs up to work so basically it's like this continuation of passing the buck in terms of who's responsible and you know the boldest statement they make is well if the information is intentionally misrepresented then those responsible are held accountable. So that gives all the leeway in the world for people to claim some level of ignorance. Well, I thought it was okay. The vet said it was okay. Oh, no, I thought it was okay. When I, like, they keep on kicking the can down the road. But so Ryder's fate is still unknown, but obviously people are continuing to push for this horse ban, uh, the horse carriage ban in New York City, because the other horses that continue to work are living in similar sort of a squalid conditions and then being subjected to the same sorts of, uh, you know, daily routines and really harsh living circumstances. So, I mean, there's a reason to keep this up. I mean, it's uh, obviously a lot of this started recently because of Ryder, but, you know, it, it, there's so many other riders out there, as they're saying. 
Well, you know, it's interesting just to give our listeners an update on all of this as uh, poll now after poll indicates that New Yorkers want to abolish uh, the horse carriage industry as it exists now and have the drivers drive their uh, clients in electric uh, carriages, which is being done in Guadalajara in Mexico. Imagine third world country, they do it. And in fact, the drivers now say they make more money because they can go out in all kinds of conditions uh, and they can go everywhere throughout the streets of Guadalajara, which here in a horse-drawn carriage, you can only go around the Central Park. But we were in the company of Bob Holden and his wife tonight at the commemoration that was done by Governor Pataki and his former staff members because of the role that they played in helping the recovery of 9-11. And uh, I said to Bob Holden, I said, Bob, uh, on behalf of the Guardian Angels, we'll actually go out and give literature to the uh, working members of TWU Local 100, who are the subway workers, uh, you know, the conductors, the motormen, the maintenance people, the token booth clerks, and explain that it's their union that is preventing this from happening. And because of the stubbornness of their union leader, the horses continue to suffer, the horses continue to be tortured, and he thought it was a great idea. So I think, Nancy, we're going to have to take matters into our own hands in order to pressure the union to finally do the right thing, uh, capitulate, and agree that its members should, in fact, uh, be using the electronic carriages instead of the horse-drawn carriages. I mean, and and again, it's like in terms of the uh, union representation, it's very curious as to who they're really representing because, I mean, the drivers, I mean, people who have that job, they're not also um, cast to be veterinarians or animal welfare experts. So you're putting an additional burden on them that they can't even handle. So it's better for everyone in this industry if we actually just switch to these uh, more humane types of means of transportation. And, I mean, I don't know if you're going to get a straight answer from the workers themselves, but it seems like the only issue is really them keeping their jobs, which they would continue to do. I mean, switching the, the style of vehicle doesn't change the fact that they still have a job. So really, it's it's sort of a at this point, it's a specious argument. And I'm not sure why the union is so steadfast in sticking to it. But it makes no sense. I'll tell you what, we will get the video from uh, Guadalajara. So all of our listeners, regardless of where they stand on the issue, can see for themselves how the tradition, the transition has worked there. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. We broadcast from the Upper East Side. That is the facilities of Red Apple, our parent company. And uh, I see the big issue, other than all the crime in the Upper East Side, which the city is suffering from in all five boroughs, is the fact that the Upper East Side is now in an uproar over one particular cab driver of a yellow cab who stops and feeds pigeons. This must be the same guy who does it right near where our studios are because I know the building management they they like they're on they're on lookout for him. Describe what's going on and describe the kind of blowback that this cab driver is getting. I mean this is really over the top and and just shows how incredibly excessive this attack is on what basically is New York City official, unofficial mascot, the pigeon. This driver, he has been feeding uh, the pigeons along a certain number of streets for a while now on the Upper East Side. And 
people are annoyed about the fact that he's doing this. So they've gone so far as to uh, start a petition to ban him from being able to feed these pigeons and reaching out to the TLC. So trying to almost get him fined or fired, right? So they, they, they want him to not even make any money anymore. And they also reached out to uh, one of the local um, uh, council members, who uh, Rebecca Seawright. So her exact statement was, feeding pigeons attracts rats, which further breeds disease. I've asked urgently the Taxi uh, Limousine Commission and the Health Department to rectify this serious public health hazard. So he's like public enemy number one with public health because he's feeding the pigeons. <laughs> I mean, it's gone this far with this man. I mean, this is completely absurd. What are the rules and regulations? Because I know you had joined a demonstration in Central Park when under the, the Blasio administration, the Parks Department was trying to stop people from feeding pigeons and other animals in the park. Yeah, so this was attempted a few years ago to try and create an actual ban where you would be fined if you were uh, feeding pigeons within the vicinity of the park. And it didn't pass. And, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of blowback from the public. So, you know, again, the the, the logic that they try to uh, hang all of this on, it comes down to sort of public health. And really, it's the food that's being fed to the pigeons. Oh, things are left behind. And so you're it's almost like the equivalent of littering. But w- what's interesting is that when you feed these birds, I mean, they take everything up. So it's not the garbage that's overflowing in the cans that's not being picked up or the things that fall out of the garbage trucks that never get swept up. This is the actual thing that's causing all the rats to come around New York City. So, again, it's just they're really doubling down on pigeons and trying to, I mean, again, trying to get this person fired from their job. I mean, it's completely excessive. You, I mean, you have to recognize that they are part of the landscape. If they spent uh, equal amount of time addressing general remediation, like these tactics that you can do to combat some of the things that they seem to be a little bit upset about, I mean, they should be working on things to make, um, you know, like sort of having sterilization for these, because you're never going to address the problem if you think that, oh, we're going to uh, try to, you know, like remove them, like pest removal, which is basically what they're considered. And they're continuing to be injured by all of these bird spikes on the buildings. You're not going to get rid of them in mass and numbers by trying to do it this way. That's why it's never worked. So what they need to do is start addressing it in an intelligent way if the overall goal is keeping the populations lower, that can be done. All of this nonsensical stuff is just ridiculous. You know, it's amazing when you've gone out to feed the pigeons. Uh, sometimes you've reported that people have yelled at you, gotten into arguments with you. Our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, related to me. One time he was sitting at the park bench by Central Park. He was feeding a few <laughs> of the pigeons. People were coming up to him, giving him a hard time. Now, they choose not to do that to me when I feed the pigeons because they think they're just afraid of me or they think I'm psycho boy. But this is true. I have seen elderly women feeding pigeons and grown men screaming at them invectives. And I've had to jump in and say, yo, chill out. That that, that could be your grandmother. What the hell is wrong with you, pal? I mean, on a a very basic level... You know, it's just this idea that you're really valuing some lives more than others. I mean, we we cohabitate together. So 
you know, you can't treat them as they don't belong here. They belong here just as much as we belong here. So there's no reason to be getting angry about this situation. You just have to be intelligent about how you're addressing some of these things, which can be easy, you know, to do if you think about it that way. You know, we're going to be living with them. We coexist with them. And again, I think a lot of people enjoy it. I mean, this is a, a wonderful act when people feel empathy for living creatures, and we're trying to somehow penalize that. I mean, it just everything about it is so so wrong about what they're doing. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. This is the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, featuring uh, Nancy, who is quite the animal rescuer. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. On one final note on the pigeons: when you walk around, especially Manhattan, you see on ledges these spikes, uh, incredibly sharp spikes. They seem to be growing in popularity. And as an alternative, you see fake owls. Now, I've taken it upon myself to watch the spikes and to watch the fake owls. The pigeons don't go anywhere near the fake owls because they assume that they're predators. But I see oftentimes pigeons who are tortured as they land on a ledge and they're impaled by these spikes, they're bleeding, they're missing, they're missing their leg, they're, they're hobbling around, which is certain death for them. What, 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 this is so inhumane. If you want to eliminate pigeons, as you said, well, it's got to be a form of birth control or sterilization or you use the plastic owls, but it seems there's some building owners and management agents and maintenance people, they love putting up the spikes as if uh, they love torturing these birds. It's, it's really quite amazing that it's legal for you to maim a wild animal, and that's okay. And then, like you said, they're walking around. They're missing portions of their limbs, so they're spending the rest of their life suffering. Obviously, you can't um, you know, capture them. You can't really address the medical issues they have. And as you often say, uh, a society, how it treats its animals, how, how it will treat its people, I mean, we have a lot of, um, I'm sure you've noticed around the city, like this uh, hostile architecture, they call it, uh, things that are set up to make sure that um, people who are living on the streets don't set up shop and sleep there or sit on a bench. Like they put things so people can't sit. So in, it's very much in line with that philosophy. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I want to take you out uh, to your neck of the woods where you used to grow up out in Long Island, uh, not Suffolk, but Nassau, where a cat was shot and murdered. And there is uh, an attempt to rally up the community to catch the persons responsible, hoping that this doesn't spread and other animals are not executed uh, and killed out there. Yeah, so uh, a family who has a cat that's basically like an indoor-outdoor cat had let the cat out in the morning, and usually it's always home by the end of the day, and they went, it didn't come home, and they spent the weekend, they were searching for this cat. They finally found it. Um, unfortunately, it was it had been shot twice, and it was still alive, but their attempts to rescue it, uh, you know, it wasn't able to survive, unfortunately. So they've uh, posted, you know, information about any information that, you know, a reward rather for any information leading to an arrest of this person. Um, 
I mean, obviously, it, it would be good to know who committed this crime because they are like an enemy of society. They're most likely going to go on to commit further crimes. Um, sadly, the penalty for even being uh, convicted of this crime would be fairly minimal because it is an animal. That's part of the problem. Uh, but also, it, it sort of highlights the the concern that you should have when you have cats and they're indoor-outdoor. I mean, there's a reason you don't want your cat to be wandering outdoors, and unfortunately, this is one of them. Um, it's not just predators in terms of animals. It's people who are are off. Something's wrong with them, and and people do abuse animals, and you know you're keeping them, making them a possible victim by letting them outside. So it's better to keep your cats indoors. Now, uh, taking you out to the Ukraine, where Zelensky uh, and the Ukrainian forces have some of the Russian troops in retreat in the north. Surprisingly, uh, they've launched a blitz uh, to counteract Putin. But there's a story that's come out of the Ukraine that is interesting. Apparently, a chimpanzee was brought back to a zoo in the Ukraine on a bicycle following the escape. I would think if I was a chimp, that's the one place I'd want to get the hell out of before Putin ends up bombing me in that zoo. You know what? And and, and honestly, that's exactly what I thought when I read this story as well. So this is uh, a zoo that had been previously evacuated because of all of the incessant bombing going on. And like 100 animals had died. Volunteers who worked for the zoo had died. So what they had done was they had evacuated all of these animals. And now they're, they're saying they're restocking the zoo, which I guess means, you know, they're saying, oh, life has returned to some level of normalcy. But the town is continuing to be bombed. It's supposedly it's just not in this particular area so that the zoo itself is not at risk. But that definitely makes sense to me that any animal with any level of cognition would, I mean, and their hearing is great. They, they're, they'll hear what's going on. I don't see why they'd possibly want to be back there if they managed to be <laughs> evacuated in the first place. They must be frightened. Um, obviously, the video was cute the way they showed it. You know, the, the chimpanzee went on a bicycle and they took it back. But, I mean, I think it's, it's instinct to escape was the right one. Our number is one 800 Eight four eight nine two two two. It's the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. One eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's quickly go to the phones. It's Jeff calling all the way from Iowa. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Jeff. Hey, thank you, Curtis. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was. Uh, I just didn't understand how you were uh, like conflating between the uh, horses and the uh, the animals and stuff like that. Do you know that the animals, the horses, are being treated? Every one of them are being treated that badly. You, you mean every one of the horses in the horse carriage industry that carry uh, people around Central Park? Yes. Well, we've seen video uh, documentaries done now, and in fact, the people who run the the stalls where the horses are, are kept overnight actually allowed the documentarians to come in and the. The video is horrific. You should really take a look at it, Jeff. It's not like it was made up. It's no, it's real. I haven't seen that, but uh, I'm just saying it seems like you're throwing a blanket over the industry, but maybe I'm not aware of that. I'm, I'm thank, thank you for – I'll look at that. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, Jeff, what we'll do um, – if you can, uh, Ken, make yourself useful, uh, get Jeff's information. We'll send him the video. 
is obviously uh, that's not a pressing issue in Iowa for a lot of people coming from Iowa. One of the things sometimes they want to do is take a horse carriage ride around Central Park because they've seen it on TV shows and they've seen it in the media. I think this is part of the problem, Nancy, is that the videos that have been done about the treatment of the horses in the horse carriage industry have had limited views because it's generally people that are interested in that. We've got to make it so that average everyday people who don't consider that the priority in their life at least are aware of it. Yeah, and, and you know, to the point of, like, I'm sure there are certain drivers who will have better, you know, treatment, so to speak, in terms of their direct dealings with the horse. But that being said, it's more of the concept of their living quarters uh, during the, the evenings. You know, they, the pictures, the stalls, the size of the stalls, the fact they can't sit down, the fact that they're operating. I mean, animals, they, they shouldn't be on the street, these horses, because the amount of traffic, the noise, like, there's nothing natural about what they're doing and the alternative. So, again, it's not really an industry critique. It's just saying you need to update your mode of transportation. Yeah, I would, uh, I would suggest it's more than that. In all these neighborhoods, look at where they're, they're housed. They're housed in Hell's Kitchen, Chelsea yeah, area. There's a crime yeah. explosion going on. People <laughs> are being that. shot there. People are being stabbed there. It's dangerous. Some of these bullets are going to hit these horses as they're either returning to their stalls or they're going to work in Central Park. I mean, I mean, just to imagine all the the buses, the taxi cabs, traveling around them, whizzing by them, beeping all day. They're standing in the direction. I mean, That's again, it. there's the, nothing natural about what they're doing. The ATVs, the quads, the <laughs> dirt bikes. <laughs> it scares two. the hell out of people. You, you imagine what it does to spoof, a uh, spook the horse. Our number is one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight WABC. Let's go to Robert in Queens. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Robert. How you doing? Those uh, spikes that they put up in New York City are illegal. They injure a lot of birds, a lot of all types of animals, cats, stuff, cats stuff on them. Uh, razor ribbons illegal in New York City also, and they hang it everywhere. Um, barbed wire is the only thing allowed in New York City. Yeah, but you see, uh, Robert, as I and Nancy, we will walk around the Upper West Side, the Upper East Side. We look up That's at the right. ledges, and we see all of these incredibly long spikes, sharpened points at the top. And you see the birds. All illegal. Say that again. All illegal. Hmm. In New York City, it's not illegal. No razor ribbon is not illegal. Uh, Nancy? Let's follow up on what uh, Robert is saying here and check to see if, in fact, there is anything uh, in terms of guidelines about what people can do to put up to prevent pigeons from uh, nesting on their ledges or just uh, hosting, uh, posting up on their ledge. As I said, if uh, some of you out there are not pigeon friendly like I am or Nancy is, I, I grew up with pigeons Obviously, in a different way, there was a coop on the top of my house on 89th Street and J that my my uncle Vincent uh, kept the pigeons, and I would go up there and help him. Uh, I would suggest that you use those plastic uh, uh, owls. Nancy, you and I, we've seen plastic owls. It doesn't seem to create any problems, and we never see any pigeons go on those ledges. Yeah, exactly correct. And just uh, the overall lack of any regulations really in place for the pigeons. I mean, obviously, I'll just double check to see if there is anything. But 
the same companies that are quote unquote pest control companies, they are called to handle, um, you know, rats, mice, cockroaches, and pigeons are included in that too. So uh, the classification of being considered a pest, I mean, really that explains a lot as to why they have no rights in terms of being protected at all. So, I mean, that really needs to be elevated again. You shouldn't be able to commit any of these crimes against the pigeons. Uh, the city who's tasked with uh, dealing with this, you know, whether it's through the, the Parks Department, uh, Department of Health, which handles a lot of the issues, unfortunately, for the animals' welfare. But that should be, they should be tasked with figuring out how to make sure that the population remains in control. And again, it, the, the excessive level of aggression people have when pigeons are being fed I mean, they're still going to be there. I mean, you're, you're not creating them. You're not forcing them to, to come to where – I mean, they're, they're there. Like, that's it. So, I mean, I, I don't understand where's this inhumane approach that we should starve them. I mean, they're brought here. I mean, we are – we should be tasked with making sure that their populations don't increase. They can't do it themselves. So, I mean, it really falls on our shoulders to make this happen. The other thing I notice is that people who really do great work and tend to birds uh, who have been injured, either by human beings or just in terms of being in an urban area like we have here, we've actually, we have a, a place like that right near where we live. We brought, uh, it was a Canada goose uh, that was named Curtis. Yes. In, in my honor that they repaired. I mean, that Canadian goose was like dead on arrival, and they, they really did a masterful job and then brought him over to Prospect Park, and he lives to this day in the the lake there in Prospect Park. But they don't take pigeons. So, for instance, people will find a pigeon who's injured from these spikes, and they'll bring him to these wildlife sanctuaries, and they'll look at it and say, it's a pigeon. We don't take pigeons. Why do you think that there's such hostility towards that? Uh, well, uh, my personal opinion is, well, first of all, if they, if they um, were very open to uh, taking in pigeons, I'm sure a lot of people would realize, okay, that's a resource, and maybe that's their concern, that there's more pigeon injuries than any other thing. But, I mean, I, I think it also has to do with, you know, they, they need to raise funds for themselves. So it's easier... I'm sure in their heads to do fundraising with some of these more exotic types of birds or rescues and the pigeon isn't as glamorous. So I think it's just getting the, the short end of the stick here because no one, they're, maybe they're thinking no one wants to donate for a pigeon, but I think they're wrong on that. I think if they started doing that a little more often and representing that they do welcome people who have injured pigeons, they would get a large uh, group of people who actually do appreciate that cause. Let's go to Mike in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Mike. Hi. Hear me out because I appreciate your love of cats. I rescued a pregnant cat when I lived in the Bronx. I brought her back to Long Island with me. I let her have her three kittens. I took care of them. I responsibly had them adopted. Uh, I kept two, the mother and one of the sons. Um, I treat them like gold. I let them in and out. I, I give them fresh water. I give them food. They are cats. They are more than capable of taking care of themselves, unlike dogs. I think they live a much richer life. If, God forbid, something happened to them, it would break my heart. 
but I live in a great neighborhood. I let them in and out. I afford them with the greatest uh, uh, flea collars that are available, Soresto. I treat them like gold, and I'd like a chance to respond. I do not agree in any way, shape, or form with your opinion on indoor, outdoor. I'm supposed to lock them up? Well, then maybe none of us should leave our apartments. Well, I mean, again, I think it's it, it's certainly case-by-case case dependent if you feel like you live in a fine area. But, I mean, the reality is there is certain things that they're going to encounter outdoors. So from a safety perspective, but if you're saying you rescued cats as well, I certainly have noticed that there are cats that have different personalities where they're not, um, you know, happy to be in a small place. They maybe do need to be. So, again, I think it's a little case-by-case case personally, but my opinion is all the cats that I've brought in, you know, if you have them where their life, when they start off younger, they're indoors, I don't think they have that need to go outside. I mean, and the way, like, we even have the windows here, they get to the best of both worlds. They're secure in the indoors, but they're constantly halfway out the the house because they're looking all day. So I think if you supply them with enough stimulation indoors, they don't need to be outdoors. But it, obviously, it, it takes a lot of work to make sure that they're going to have something to do all the time. They're going to have a lot of these things recreated, which would be like, according to what you're saying, like more of the national environment. But again, I think you really just, you know, from a safety perspective, depending upon the situation, yeah, I, I would just say I would rather have them indoors than have them going outdoors. Yeah, and I think, Mike, uh, I don't know the, the area you live in, but in an urban area where there's, like, no lawns, no green, no space, uh, I've noticed it's very dangerous when the cats go outside. They get hit by cars. They get squashed. Uh, you know, people treat them badly. As opposed to, let's say, if they live in Nassau or Suffolk County where there's a little bit of space, I think it's a lot easier for them to safely stay outdoors and then come indoors when they want to. I agree. And what I'm talking about is that I specifically transplanted them to a safe suburban environment. And it is case by case, of course. Every, yeah. Everything in life. Is case by case. Yes. Yeah, I think uh, also, think of it. There are some neighborhoods you do not want the cats walking around, or all of a sudden those cats, they get poisoned because there are some immigrants especially who have been taught in their country of origin that cats, especially black cats, are evil. They represent witchcraft. They represent Satan. Uh, you and I, Nancy, we've gone into neighborhoods where people actually poison cats because that's the way they were brought up in their country of origin. When well, we were in um, Washington Heights, I remember a couple of years back, all of the vendors on the you know the streets, the biggest item they were selling was rat poison, and this is being thrown around the properties indiscriminately. Because that's their pressing concern, the rats. But, yeah, so if the cats go out, they're going to, you know, unfortunately be affected by this as well. So, yeah, that, again, that's why definitely in the city I think it's, it's very tough to, to try and have that concept work. Um, in the country, maybe it makes more sense. And then remember, before the lockdown and pandemic of March of 2020, there was a series of cat poisonings in Astoria, Queens. We were out there around the clock 
our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis, who are real cat lovers, they put up a reward. Uh, our presence and the reward stopped the poisonings of the cats. But there were dozens of cats that had been poisoned, no doubt probably by either an emotionally disturbed person or an immigrant family that came from a country where they equated the cats with all the negative things that are just not true. But that's yeah, the way they were brought up. Like the- the classification of cats in some people's minds as equivalent, like pests. So they're just trying to get rid of them. When people are maybe dealing with that situation and they're not aware of any resource that's available to them or maybe people they can reach out to, the cats need to be fixed, spayed, neutered. If you have a large cat population outside, they're going to keep having kittens and they're going to do the type of behavior that makes people who, again, who aren't aware of the whole situation, really annoyed with them because they're fighting, they're spraying. So this is why the cats need to be fixed so that a lot of those behaviors which really cause these problems, you know, don't don't, um, make an issue. And then the population goes down because they can't uh, have kittens anymore. So, I mean, again, that's an example. It's the most humane way to approach this. Same way that, I mean, this already exists for cats. But, you know, they should be, uh, you know, sort of using the same philosophies for a lot of these other types of animals where there's an overpopulation. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. This is the Animal Welfare Edition. When we return, Nancy, uh, a lot has been spoken of the four dogs. At least I saw four dogs in a photograph of Queen Elizabeth II before she passed away. What now will become of those dogs? And also, when we come back, describe what is the breed of those dogs, because I certainly didn't recognize it. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. As we continue, Nancy, uh... I saw a photograph just yesterday of Queen Elizabeth uh, II before she passed uh, passed away. She had four of these smaller dogs in front of her. They call them the royal dogs. They have a special name for them. I, I, I could not at all recognize them. Do you know what breed they are and what the history of them uh, is? So... Uh, there's four dogs, four dogs overall, and two of them are something called a corgi, and then the other two are like a corgi mix type dog. And w- w- do they have a role, or are they just uh, is it part of royalty, or is she just an, an animal lover who liked the dogs? Yeah, apparently she's just an animal lover. So, uh, you know, during her lifetime, she's had uh, about thirty different dogs. So. And this particular breed happens to be her favorite. So uh, throughout the years, I mean, she's always been uh, pictured and filmed with uh, this particular breed of dog. So you don't have any uh, personal experiences, though, with uh, that particular breed? No, I don't. But they they almost, to me, look like a little Dachshund hounds, like those little tiny things with little legs. Like, you know, they're very small little dogs. You know, not, not big dogs, not... Like a German Shepherds, they're like tiny little dogs. Um, but that reminds yeah, but- me, you know, with our commemoration of 9-11, uh, 
our news guy on the morning that I and Ron Kuby were here, we were here for about the next 10 hours because everybody were dependent on radio. Once the towers came down, there was no television. Our news guy, George Weber, who ran right into the belly of the beast there and was there for hours and hours and hours. We thought uh, that he was dead, and he was reporting like uh, once we were able to connect because even the cell phones were down. He had a dash hound, uh, you yeah. know, that looked like a little hot dog dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, boy, that was such a nice dog. That was such a nice dog. But anyway, let's go to uh, Denzel, who's calling from the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC. Denzel? Hi, Curtis. Yeah, I'm not going to ask how you're doing because I know you don't like that. But uh, you've seen better days, and so have <laughs> I. Yeah. I, I spoke to you uh, just about a month ago. So, yeah. And uh, But tonight I'm, uh, I'm calling back to speak with you and your wife about um, the animals, pigeons. I love pigeons. <laughs> uh, I, I, I raised pigeons as a boy, you know, and, and I really enjoyed that period of my life. Come to New York City, and I see the pigeons here, and, um, you know, they look similar to the pigeons that I raised. Uh, however... Uh, when I try to get close to them, people always seem to interfere. And they say, yeah, those those nasty things, right? Why you like them? Why do you want to, you know? I go to the park and I take a bag of uh, what I call scratch grain, oats and corn and rice and things like that. I try to, and a cop actually comes to me and says, you can't feed, you cannot feed the birds. Oh, no. Why not, man? You know? Yeah. You have a yeah, a cop who they're, they're not dealing with a lot of crime now will come up to you and say, you can't feed the birds, in this case, the pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. I said, why? They, 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 they say because, like, uh, you know, they encourage rats and, uh, you know, they spread disease. They're, you know, they're, they're nasty. And so I, I said, what? What? You know, pigeons. I love I love these animals. What are you talking about? So, Denzel, since Denzel, let let me ask you a question, Denzel. Since you grew up with pigeons like I grew up with pigeons, what can people learn about by just spending time with pigeons and feeding them? Well, what I I like, I imitate the pigeons. I I make sound just like the pigeons. I learned it when I was a little boy. You know, listen, it's a pigeon. It's a pigeon here. Oh, that's good. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Do they re- and, um, do they respond, Denzel, when you make that sound? Well, well, yes, uh, yeah. Sometimes you know the male, you know, it's like. Uh, but after a while, they kind of play with you, you know. I would put my hand into their coops and stuff like that, and just and just push his chest a little, you know. And he would he would slap me with his wings, you know. Uh, yeah. They're good fighters, very good fighters. You know, they hit you with the wing, you know. Yeah, well, Denzel, uh, Nancy has watched. When I walk out the door of our apartment, a good hundred uh-huh. pigeons surround me. I mean, they'll stay yeah. within a very small distance away. But I've yeah. almost gotten them to the point now where they're going to get on my shoulders, my arms, because yes. they're not afraid of me. I'm certainly not afraid of them. I grew up with pigeons. Right. But they, it's almost like they want to be with humans. Yeah. Well, you see, you see, and they be 
become accustomed to also when you you know when you go out and, and you, you and you give them food and stuff like that they get to know you you know they get to know you and uh, it's it's a really beautiful thing. Well, I, I got to tell you, there's one saving grace to all that, Denzel. I've had a habit of talking to myself when I'm in a park. But when you're okay. talking to pigeons, people can understand that. Oh, he's talking to the pigeons. Uh, the new king of England, uh, Charles III, he talks to plants. He talks to trees. person like myself, yeah. if I'm talking and nobody's around, people say he's Meshug, <laughs> he's uh, Ubats, he's crazy. Uh, stay away from him. Let people say what they want to, you know? Yeah. And, and, yeah. You get to live your life, you know? Live your life. Well, Denzel, and, you, you tell, the next time a cop comes up to you in the park and you're feeding the pigeon, you tell him, Curtis Sliwa says it's okay. You got beef, take it up with Curtis Sliwa. Wow, you see? Imagine. Cops are not even arresting people. Shoplifting, boosting. Senior citizens being attacked, but they walk up to this guy, Denzel. You can't feed the pigeons. Yeah, I mean, again, and that's unbelievable. Like this, this idea that somehow they're attracting the rats. Like again, not the the lack of sanitation pickup. I mean, no, that's not the problem. It's the pigeons. I got to tell you, I uh, probably know rats better than anybody else, because <laughs> that's another uh, four-legged creature I'm not afraid of. When the pigeons are there, the rats don't come out. They they may think that the the pigeons are a predator against them because, you know, normally it's a lot of pigeons. The rats, they don't go anywhere near the pigeons. In fact, they avoid the pigeons. I've never seen a rat. Uh, I've never seen a pigeon take on a rat. Yeah, I mean, and again, the idea that when you're throwing out food for pigeons, it, oh, the discarded food is going to be uh, taken in by the rats. Pigeons are really precise. They don't leave anything behind, like not a seed. <laughs> so no. there is nothing left behind. Everything's gone. No, no. They even take the marrow out of the bone. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they like, they just, they're like locusts to a cornfield. Anyway, let's yeah. go to Max in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Max. Curtis, thank you for taking my call. Um, I have a little story about a, uh, a, a horse ro- driver. Um, through that was riding his taking his horse to 59th Street, and uh, he seemed to be very disgruntled. And with these two women who were tourists, they were in their 80s, maybe they were from Iowa, someplace from the Midwest. They began to cross the street. They didn't see this carriage, and the carriage driver didn't stop his horse. He just kept plowing through. At the last minute, someone shouts, "Ladies, ladies, watch out!" And the ladies jumped back, and the guy kept going, and with no expression on his face. So out of nowhere, this guy who was walking in the streets started yelling at the driver. He said, mister, didn't you see those two women? You almost ran them over. And he turned around to the guy and he said, F you. So the guy he said F you to jumped on the carriage and started giving him a beating. Wow. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> giving the driver a beating. And uh, f- finally he jumps off and the driver starts yelling. The guy who jumped off is waiting for the guy to come off the carriage. He never did. He was from Eastern Europe, the driver. And in my, my, I said to myself, good, the driver deserves this. He almost ran over two women. He didn't care about it when someone pointed it out. And someone jumped up and they gave him a beating. He deserved it. Well, we have uh, what is described, Max, as uh, vehicular rage, where motorists uh, sometimes will stop, get out, start fighting with one another, pull a gun, shoot at one another. In this case, it's horse carriage rage. 
by the driver. Imagine 80-year-old women, and he's just going to bulldoze through like there's no ramifications there, no consequences. So, look, the horse carriage drivers, they're no different than anybody else in New York City now. They figure they can get away with anything, that there are no complications no ramifications. Anyway, uh, Nancy, as uh, we draw this session of animal welfare to a close, if people are interested in getting in touch with you related to any and all animal welfare issues, the rescuing of cats or anything that we've discussed in the last hour or beyond, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, well, they can visit uh, the website, guardianangels.org, or email me directly, nancy, at guardianangels.org. And I would suggest to our listeners, you go to guardianangels.org. You'll see the different tabs of all the things we do in 13 countries and 130 cities. Hit the uh, Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division tab, and you can see what Nancy and all of her volunteers do in uh, making life a lot easier for animals that are in distress in the rescuing of animals who are scheduled to be slaughtered, destroyed at our shelter system, and also uh, the fostering and the adoption of animals who are being surrendered at larger and larger rates because of inflation. Because oftentimes, especially the elderly or those on limited income, they have to come to grips with a decision. I barely have enough money to feed myself or my family As much as I love this cat or this dog, they think that they're going to have to surrender them at a shelter. And people like Nancy and others will do an intervention to make sure that if they have to surrender that animal, that animal ends up in a home of their own and not in a shelter and certainly not scheduled for execution. So thanks again, Nancy. Thank you again. WABC. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Oh, right on time, Dominic Carter. The buffer between me and Frank Morano. By the way, Dominic, you know, I got the Lifetime Achievement Award for WABC at Cipriani. Was very proud of you in attendance. I almost didn't get it because Frank (laughs) went on and he gave about a 28-minute introduction. But that's because Frank admires you and have a lot of respect for you. No, that's because he just wanted to eat up all the talk time so I would be left with, oh, thank you. Goodbye. (laughs) But now... Mercy, mercy, me. (laughs) You are one of the few people that can actually... Stake your claim to being a professional journalist, because none of us in talk radio are journalists. I'm not a journalist. Frank, who follows uh, you, is not a journalist. We we do commentary. You have legitimately busted your shoes over the years. You were the go-to reporter at City Hall, especially when Rudy Giuliani was mayor. Man, you were like number one, like two uh, scorpions in a brandy glass sometimes. <laughs> but this... Orgy of coverage about the death. Wait, wait, orgy? It's an orgy. Because, <laughs> first of all, they're decadent, they're debaucherous, they're deadbeats, and they're dysfunctional, all these royals. 
Ah, uh, so that's what you're talking about. But, look, they can be all of that, decadent, debaucherous, deadbeats, and dysfunctional. That's fine. That's for the Brits. They want to put them on their currency. They want to hang their pictures uh, in their, on their walls. That's fine. Knock yourself out. Today, I'm looking at America media. This is our day, commemoration, 9-11. You were in the forefront of the coverage. Thank God you were, because you had boots on the ground. I'm saying two-thirds of the coverage was about the Queen's casket going to the countryside of Scotland to Edinburgh. King Charles III had a hissy fit because he said, servants, you're supposed to remove things from the king's desk. He used the term servants. Then we're supposed to be all enamored that Prince William, the future king, and uh, Miss Middleton, or whatever the hell her name is, made up with Meghan and Harry. Who the hell gives a damn? And all of this nonsensical coverage, 9-11. Why is your face like that? Because I, I can't, I'm so angry at Americans to be caught up in this idolatry. I asked a simple question in the two shows that I did today. How many uh, of your children actually were taught about 9-11 about in their return to school this week? And that's a legitimate point. That, 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 that's a very legitimate point. But I think all of this, Curtis, is, is ratings-driven. For some reason, Americans have a fascination uh, with, with the royal family, and it is what it is. It's ratings-driven, in my opinion. But it's wrong on 9-11 to focus more on what the new king as opposed to our own backyard. Yeah, what consequence does a new king have to us? Nothing. We have our king and queen they call Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse in Disney World. <laughs> that attracts a lot of tourists. They have their Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse that attracts a lot of tourists. I get it. But this ongoing. They even had the chef. Oh, and I used to spend hours preparing for the queen. It's like, who the hell cares? And yet, really important news about the commemoration of 9-11 that is receding in the minds of a lot of Americans. And our children know almost nothing about it. Nothing it, about it's it. It's true. It's true. And when when you talk to the young ones that perhaps weren't here, they they have no point of reference, no idea. And that needs to dramatically change. It It needs to. Because we can never forget... You and I were around. Yes. We know what it was like that day, the days after. Uh, mayor Giuliani is the mayor of the city, not knowing initially where to hold a news conference from because they were afraid, you know, President Bush up in the air. They were afraid that an attack, that we didn't know anything. And then I, I can remember like it was yesterday, Curtis, even though it's 21 years ago, the mayor ultimately held his news conferences on the west side, uh, right right on the pier in one of the buildings. But we were not allowed to say where, even though we would show up, because they were afraid of what may happen. And and I recall like it was yesterday. I, I arrived at New York One, and uh, they had grief counselors for us to deal with it. And they send me uh, out to Bellevue. I remember, like, I will always remember it. And there were no ambulances coming in. None. None. And then they sent me to uh, to the morgue, 
right, 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 you know, right on the uh, Manhattan's upper uh, Manhattan's right by uh, the NYU. Yes, yes. And a few days later, you saw you saw the refrigerated trucks pulling up to the side of of the morgue because they were for body parts, and that's how many body parts. That was a best case scenario: body parts. Mm. And that's why that story needs to be told again and again and again. And you would think in the schools, like where you raise your family in Pomona, Rockland County, it's mm-hmm. supported by property taxes. Absolutely. Most of our listening area, it's property taxes that are going to keep going up and but up maybe, and up. But maybe you and I should become migrants and then come back into the country. Oh, because, yeah. Because then we'll get more oh, benefits. Oh, now they're going to be bussed right. or MTA right. buses. Right, right, right. So if you, you want to catch you a bus... That? No MTA bus for you because we got the illegals here. Could you do me a favor when you hand off to Frank? Would you tell him to stop kissing ass of the royalty? I forget who it was. It was like in the wee hours of the morning. He had somebody on who was crying about the death of Queen Elizabeth in 96. She's 96. She was expected to die. I mean, this this nonsense. What was she supposed to live forever? Mm. Crying like a little baby. Mm, don't and, get so uptight, Curtis. Oh, no, it's Frank. You know, oh, you know, he can never say no to people. Instead of lecturing these people and saying, "What are you crazy? This is America. That's why we had a revolution." But, but don't get so uptight. You're gonna have a stroke. Damn right. Oh, by the way, if I have a stroke, please tell me I have to get off the radio. I mean, we got Fetterman there in Pennsylvania. We got so many others.